It's season three, episode four of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And you join us on the 10th of uh, April of 2022. Uh, coming up on this show, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the more Oscar controversy. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, our post thoughts on Rugrats in Paris, on his, the return of In Search of the Crystal Skull. We're going to be introducing the return to Monkey Island. We're going to be telling you all about that too. It's going to be the 99th birthday of Warner Brothers. We'll tell you how they're celebrating. Uh, we've got a trailer for the Bob's Burgers movie. And also we got our post thoughts on the Toonami podcast from Casual Chats on Old School lane uh we've also got some grammy news to go through including uh, pixar soul and also kirby in regards to that uh we've also uh, gonna be paying tribute to estelle harris uh, who was played the nagging miss uh, contanza in seinfeld she has died at the age of 93 uh we're going to tell you about uh, sonic hedgehog 2 coming out in theaters uh we're gonna be giving you our thoughts on none of the above that is the uh result of the kids choice awards of 2022 and we've also got our spoiler section for the owl house and amphibia and this is going to be a double bill for both of them because uh for those of you who are not aware, we had technical issues with the last episode, so we are going to be combining all the Owl House and Amphibia uh, episodes of the last two weeks into the spoiler section. You are listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 10th of April of 2022. Patricia, do you want to tell everybody what's going on on the Old School Lane podcast? Yeah, so as uh, Aaron mentioned earlier, that the Toonami podcast is up on your podcast feeds as well as YouTube. So if you're interested in looking back with um, either of those podcast feeds or even on YouTube discussing about uh, a very well-known Adult Swim cartoon block featuring anime and music videos and video game reviews uh, featuring a robot named Tom, then please go check it out. It had myself, Jim Bevan, and... Eli Stone, aka the Hero of Tomorrow, and we talked about our fond memories of Toonami, how we first got introduced to it, what were our favorite shows featured on Toonami, and many more. So, yeah, go check it out. Okay. Our top story, uh, more controversy coming out of the Oscars, and I think uh, one of the big ones definitely is Will Smith and what's happened to him. Uh, he has now been given, handed down a 10-year ban from at- attending the Oscars. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's quite a large ban, considering that a lot of other people who have won Oscars previously, and some of them have been, you know, doing much, much worse stuff, have never gotten a massive ban. I mean, the last person I remember who had a massive ban was a director, and the reason why he was banned was because of something controversial involving with a film that was, like, um you know, uh, tweaked to say the least, but yes, uh, this is quite big to, to, you know, this is really, really big. I just think that, you know, I mean, here's the thing about this. Um, I mean, in a previous episode that didn't air, I said that was very critical of Will Smith when he, uh, went up on stage and hit Chris Rock. And, uh, I, I said that was unacceptable and I condemned what he did. And, uh, eventually he apologized for what he did. And uh, he also apologized to Chris Rock for it as well. So I thought, you know, this, and then also he, on top of that, he also resigned from the the Oscars too. So like uh, he no longer has like any voting or like any he can be nominated for Oscars but he has no ability to like you know have a say in what goes on at the academy anymore. So he's uh, given up those rights and I thought okay then so he's just going to get a slap on the wrist and then that'll basically be it. But good g- grief a 10 year ban. Yeah. Like- and not only that but a project that he was working on is being put on hold and also he even mentioned recently that he's being signed up for rehab for what he did. Oh, wow. Like uh um, yeah, something ain't going well in the Will Smith household. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, then there was that, there was that uh, leaked footage that came out from uh, uh, the, the IG Live that happened. And, uh, you know, that's been causing some uh, 
some craziness as well. Apparently, his wife like filmed him for like uh, you know without his permission or something like that. Like uh, I didn't watch yeah. the entire thing because you know like, you 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 can't get too involved in all this stuff really. Like so, I don't really know exactly about that. But uh, going back onto the the story, which is that Will Smith now can no longer attend the Oscars for ten years, from what yeah. we can see, that's excessive to me. Like, it is. You know, here's the thing about this. Um, are you familiar with a footballer named Eric Cantona? No. Okay, so he played for Manchester United. In one game, he thought, in a really stupid way, he uh, jumped over a rail and kicked a fan with a with a Ooh. with a cleat. You know, did the whole kung fu kick and everything like that. That led him to be suspended from the Premier League for nine months. Nine okay. months? Uh, now, now, here's the question. Is this a plastic cleat or a metal cleat? Um, I would imagine it's probably. I don't know what he was wearing at the time. I, I, I you know, you know, I pay attention more to like what's going on, like you know, with the ball being kicked around on the field, rather than kind of like what's under their feet, you know, like. But, <laughs> fair uh, enough, fair enough. Yeah, but, but if know, it was a metal cleat, then yeah, that would have been really, really painful. But, but yeah, but here's the thing, like, uh, I mean, regardless, regardless of what what it was made of, I mean, the fact that he did the act in the f- first place is unacceptable, and like you know, it was. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was a disgraceful act, and uh, you know, a nine month ban is what I would consider, yeah, that would be fine. Now, if Will Smith got like two to three years, where he was like, no, for two to three years you can't attend the Oscars, I would say that was acceptable as a, as a punishment. But uh, to say that you can't attend for ten years, when he's when he later admitted that he was at fault, and uh, that he even, you know, resigned from the Academy, and, uh, you know, said... Yeah, and also, you know, I thought that was going to be enough for what was going on, but good grief, ten years. Yeah, that, that's that, a lot. That's that is, a, you know, like uh, he's, uh, he, yeah, like uh, he he might never get nominated for an Academy Award ever again. I mean, like that's probably what we're looking at here, maybe. So, like, I think, I think, I don't know if they're just doing this to make, you know, said. I hope they're not doing this to Will Smith to make an example out of him. And like saying to everybody else, like, look, you, we just did this for Will Smith. Like, if anyone, you, anyone else of you fall out of line, this is what can happen to you too. Like, uh, I just think that's, uh, I don't know, I have some uncomfortable feelings about that, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. And as for Chris Rock, I mean, you know, I mean, Chris Rock was in the wrong too about making fun of his wife, uh, you know, of, of Will's wife, you know, for like her bald head, even though that we know that it was like not intentional that he was saying, oh, you know, you're going to be great for G.I. Jane and um, saying, you know, oh, because of her bald head, because she has alopecia. And we already know about well, if you here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about this. I also condemn this on Twitter as well, because one of my Twitter followers turned around and said, oh, well, now that, uh, you know, Chris Rock got slapped, I think a lot of comedians better, you know, uh, better watch what they say. It's like, no, we can't live in a society like that. Like, you know, it's, uh, I mean, what Will Smith did was unacceptable. Regardless of what, you know, Chris Rock could have told the most offensive thing on that stage. And if uh, Will Smith had gone up and slapped him, then that would probably, I would still say that was unacceptable. You know, like, uh, it's just like, let the, I mean, the Academy clearly had no problem taking action against Will Smith. I think if, uh, you know, Chris Rock had gone too far above the pale, I think, you know, the Academy would have said something about it. But, uh, I mean, yeah. in, in regards to the way, I mean, whatever Chris Rock had said on that time, keep this in mind, like, I mean, um, you know, it's co- isn't what Chris Rock said covered under the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States? No, 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 I'm not saying that, you know, that means you should shout fire in a crowded theater. That's not what we're going on here. Chris Rock said, told a offensive joke. And, you know, it probably, it probably, you know, offended a lot of people by doing what he did. Okay, fair enough. But for Will Smith to go on stage and hit him 
you know, where, and, you know, Chris, Chris Rock took it pretty well, you know, like, uh, when, when he did. He looked incredibly shocked when what happened happened. And, uh, but, you know, what I'm saying is that going up on stage and hitting somebody just because you heard a joke that you didn't like, it's just, it's unacceptable. It is. Yeah. So, unfortunately, now, if Chris Rock had just told the joke and Will Smith had just, you know, consoled his wife and had, le- and had left it at that, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people would have taken Will Smith's side on that. Like, they would have said, oh, hey, you know, uh, he, he didn't act, you know, uh, out of order or anything like that. Like, I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, you remember when, uh, remember when Taylor Swift got her, uh, what was it? I can't remember what ceremony it was. And uh, do you remember who it was? It Kanye West, I think it was. It who who? Oh uh, yeah, I think that was. I would think that was either for the Grammy or for the People's Choice Awards. Something like that, yeah. And I think was it Kanye West who got up on the uh, stage and said, you know, oh well, uh, you know, uh, Beyonce did the greatest music video of all time. Yeah, that's what he said. He was being an idiot. Yeah, but imagine if Beyonce got up on stage and hit him. Oh, okay. So yeah. That's guys who got up and hit him. Like, yeah. you know, like the, that would, in my opinion, would have been unacceptable. And then, you know, know, here's the thing, you know, Kanye West got up on stage, made an ass out of himself, and got to the point where the President of the United States at the time, Barack Obama, even said he was a jackass. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they should have done with Chris Rock, in in my opinion. Like, you know, instead, you know, Will Smith has got himself in all this trouble, and now he's got himself a 10-year ban out of it. Mm -hmm. Even though I think it's excessive, but again, it still doesn't, it's still not acceptable what he did. Yeah. No, it's 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 not. No, it's not. I mean, I know what he was. I know what his intentions were. He was trying to defend his wife because Chris Rock was making fun of Jada's uh, bald head. But, and but Patricia, he wasn't assaulting him. I mean, he's not assaulting his wife. Like you exactly. know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't get on. He didn't get off stage and like you know kick Jada in the face or anything like that. You know, if, if he, that's if, true. If that had happened, then Will Smith, you know, defending his wife would have been was totally acceptable in that situation because you know you'd be asking where the hell's security. But uh, right. yeah, but you know, the, um, just because he told an offensive joke does not mean you go up and hit somebody. I'm sorry. No, you you, you don't you don't do that. No. If if, we, if that if that's the tone that's going to be set, that's going to be a very awful place to society society to be in. You know. Yeah, very true. I, I, some people were, I, I don't know if like um, if you heard about this, but some people were saying that this whole thing that happened was rigged because, as you know, from last year and the year before, the uh, ratings for the Oscars were at an all-time low. And when that happened, you know, the Oscars had like their biggest ratings and their biggest views at, of all time. Well, here's, so, the, here's the thing about this. Like, uh, if the Academy was really serious about uh, getting people back on board and not having it, like, you know, be like, you know, uh, a pat on the black back club, then they would be in- including the public more in what was going on in the in the show, if you will, or in the award ceremony itself. I mean, look at the KCAs, for example. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing, actually, how many people actually be watching the KCAs this year. You know, like, you mm-hmm. know, it was, and we're going to be talking about it later on, too. It was actually a really good show. That uh, they put on, they put on this year, and uh, you know, I guarantee, I think if they really wanted to get more people engaged with the Oscars, then they would probably open it a bit more to the public and not have it be the kind of like this, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, um, Hollywood pat, pat on the back club, you know. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I guess we're, I guess we're done with this conversation because we need to talk about another controversial thing that happened in the Oscars that a lot of people were really pissed off at. Oh boy, so um. Phil Lord and Chris Miller um, said that uh, Hollywood should elevate and not diminish uh, animation. This is a guest column that was in there. And in that guest column, uh, I believe they went, they said along the lines, 
this was based in the tweet. Uh, the Beauty and the Beast pitch, Best Picture nomination left, uh, quote-unquote, some worried that an animated movie might win every year, uh, a sentiment that, in part, led to the creation of the Best Animated Feature Award. For some, uh, yeah. to keep them quiet, to keep them from winning the real prize. Yeah, this pissed off a lot of people, especially with what happened with uh, the Oscars that happened. So as you guys know from the Oscars that when the uh, the host came out for the, um, you know, best animated film and they started off with saying animated films make up some of the best uh, formative movie experiences as kids. So many kids watch these movies over and over and over and over and over again. I think some parents out there know exactly what we're talking about. And then. A host basically just shot them and said, like, yeah, because um, the only reason why I watch Encanto is because my son forced me to watch it. So, yeah. And then Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who, by the way, are known for not only doing live action movies, are also known for doing animated movies. And so in their column, they said this. To those who have dedicated, uh, you know, for those who, uh, those of us who dedicated our lives for making animated films, that carelessness has become routine. The head of a major animation studio once told an assembly of animators that if we played our cards right, we would one day, quote unquote, graduate to live action. Years later, an executive at another studio said a certain animated movie we made was so enjoyable that it reminded them of, quote unquote, a real movie. They're tone deaf. They are seriously, seriously tone deaf. They have no idea what the real world is in regards to that. Like, uh, a lot of people now, to this day, you know, like, uh, isn't uh, Crunchyroll currently going through, like, you know, subscriber, like, uh, you know, buzz at the moment? Like, uh, they, yeah, they... I mean, even I think that they're they're trying to pull back on it because of all the people who are hating on it. But I haven't heard any news regarding about if they're going to change their mind saying, yeah, we're not going to do the whole, you know, you have to be subscribed in order for you to watch our stuff. Yeah, I mean, like uh, it's uh, at the moment, like a lot of animated projects right now is going you know, animation is going into overdrive right now, whether it's on the big screen or whether it's going into like, you know, the YouTube videos. You know, like, it's just, it's uh, it's all over the uh, place at the moment. Like, it's just, it's, uh, um, this whole industry is getting bigger and badder and, and you know, better as we go along. And, uh, you know, Mitchell's versus the Machines, as we all know, you know, one of the 10 most streamed movies of 2021. And Rio of the Last Dragon, Luca, also are in, in, that, in that category as well. And uh, also, Turning Red is, uh, you know, a Disney Plus, you know, phenomenon right now yes uh to the point where now the creators of the show have actually now signed to actually actually get, get a bigger say in pixar you know like yeah uh, exactly if you if you heard domi she has been promoted exactly so... and it's a, a good and <laughs> good honor for that take too that, take that all you haters of turning red exactly yeah <laughs> like uh, you know pixar's in good hands now for for the next 10 years pretty much like uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing where pixar go now i mean obviously we've got Lightyear coming up so i'm interested to see uh what happens like uh, no, i'm not saying that the old guard is like you know gonna have their have their say in uh, what's going on with that because i believe i mean Lightyear's still due to go in theaters isn't it like as far as i'm aware yeah, yeah, yes, it is. it is. That's right. Lightyear yeah. is going into theaters. That's right. Yeah, so um, we're going to go into theaters with Lightyear. Interesting to see how well it does, I think. Like, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, people are either getting sick of Toy Story or if uh, they actually are excited to see, you know, Buzz Lightyear in, like, his real-life lore. And, uh, exactly. So, you know, exactly. So interesting to see where we go with that. But, uh, yeah, I think if... Uh, I don't know. I mean, Pixar always have an expectation, I probably would imagine. I don't know what the expectation is for Lightyear. I probably, I probably, probably think they're going to do a billion. 
I think. Yeah, I mean, I I think for people who didn't care for Turning Red, they're expecting so much higher for Lightyear. Yeah, I mean, like, given that Turning Red is... uh, Here's the thing about this. Turning Red right now is probably the best Pixar movie right now, looking between them and Light. I mean, obviously we haven't seen Lightyear yet, but good grief. I mean, if if Turning Red right now is considered the best Pixar film of this year, what does that say for Lightyear right now? Yeah, and and for those who are probably saying, oh, but Aaron and Patricia, what if both movies are good? Well, here's the thing. Hallelujah. Three times, yes, I know, hallelujah, first of all, but three times that Pixar has released two movies in one year, one ends up being really, really good, and the other one ends up being really mediocre. So, yeah, we talked about this in the Turning Red podcast, so you can go listen to more about that, but... Yeah, I think that Pixar is in a good place. So when Lord and Miller were discussing in depth about that animation should be treated really seriously, and they even brought this up, like everybody else who is in the New Deal for Animation movement is has brought up, they said, during the pandemic, when much physical production was shut down, animators began working from home immediately. These films kept our businesses afloat. Yeah, the films and the TV shows that were animated was able to keep the industry alive when they couldn't do live action stuff because of the pandemic. And also what they said is that, um, according to the uh, streaming movies of 2021, um, well, with Luca, Ryan, The Last Dragon, and Mitchell's vs. the Machines, they were three of the ten most streamed movies of 2021. Seven of the ten movies were animated. That's 25% of 50 highest grossing films of all time were animated. So they even said this, and I quote, Animation is for everyone, and the studios know it. That's why we're seeing unprecedented investment in animation production. And for all of our um, international listeners out there, you're probably like really confused as to why America doesn't treat animation seriously because in countries such as France and Japan and various other countries, they have the idea that animation is for all ages. And we've seen this with like a lot of foreign films and with a lot of animation companies and animated uh, television um, studios that also have this same mindset about that animation is for everyone. It's not just a kid's thing. But here in America, yeah, they don't treat animation seriously. They never have. Unfortunately, that's the case in which that um, animation is either one of two things. It's either something for kids and it's like really colorful and lively or it's something for adults and it's usually with a lot of swearing and blood and violence and all that kind of stuff, which is not true, uh, especially today where animation has become varied. But unfortunately, people just still have this mindset. Yeah. By the way, um, I'm actually looking, uh, according to BGR, I'm actually looking at the top uh, 10 uh, Disney Plus shows that were streamed in 2021. Guess who the top three are? Who's that? Bluey, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and The Simpsons. (laughs) Yes, I'm not too surprised. Live action is so so, uh, good, isn't it? Like, it's just, it's a good grief. Like, it's just, it's, uh, you know, if... uh, I just look at I just look at like most of the shows that are right now are recommended for streaming. The Owl House is currently like one of the popular show shows. As we know, Family Guy is another one, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to look at some of the other ones. Uh, the, yeah, Phineas uh, Ferb, Gravity of, um, Falls, Big City Greens, Amphibia. Amphibia, exactly. Like you know, they, it's just again they can't read the room. 
they just can't read the room. And uh, what we're basically getting at the moment is is that uh, we're getting animated shows, you know, um, being pushed under by these uh, these dinglings who are like uh, think that they know better than everybody else and are totally out of touch with like you know who probably don't know the price of a carton of milk. And all of a sudden they say, oh yeah, well we know what people want. Like you know, no dude, you don't. Like, uh, it's making it pretty clear. You know, also, like, the animators also are now seeing this now, that their, their stuff is now worth in value, and that's the reason we've got this whole, you know, four new deal, new deal for animation uh, campaign currently going on right now. Which, by the way, they, they deserve to be paid just as much as everyone who does the live-action stuff. You know? Like, I've got to be yeah. honest with you, like, maybe I might be in a minority. I don't know. But uh, I spend more time lo watching animated shows than I have done live-action shows. And if anything is live here. action show, I, I the, the most live action thing I probably watch is the news. You know, like I'm probably like you know, um, uh, there's also the uh, this show called Bondi Rescue, which I watch, which is like you know uh, uh, a reality show about uh, you know lifeguards, you know saving uh, you know people from you know drowning and stuff. Like you know, like uh, but probably like some of the stuff I probably watch is probably news and documentaries, maybe probably like uh, you know uh, maybe the occasional live action you know movie. But besides that, you know, most of my stuff is wrapped around animation. You know. Right. Yeah, I mean, my cousin also loves Disney films, but she says that she was embarrassed when she was looking back on her favorite movies because she said, oh, but a lot of the movies that I like are animated Disney films. What does that make me? It's like a person who has taste. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if, if you love all the movies from the Renaissance era, then good on you. You actually know what you, you, you actually like good things. Oh, like some yeah. other people. That's, uh, Yeah. I guess this probably ties in pretty well to uh, our discussion in Research of the Crystal Skull because, uh, you know, we uh, do. Uh, we, well, we have an animated movie here that we actually talk. We talked about to uh, bring the show, yeah. bring, the, bring, the, bring the series back, and uh, that was Rugrats in Paris. So. Yeah, so for the first time in over a year, we are brought back In Search of the Crystal Skull, and we have a new themed month, which is Nicktoons Movie Month, and the first one we started off with was uh, Rugrats in Paris, and um, our comments was actually surprisingly, you know, positive to say the least, considering that we did criticize a lot of the flaws from Rugrats in Paris, but a lot of people seem to be okay with it. Uh, you want me to read some of them? Uh, yeah, go for it. All right, then. So I'm going to start things off. Uh, hash, uh, you know, shout out to my uh, good friend Kyle Nordy, who said, I do remember how hype this was. I don't think I saw it until it came out on DVD. I haven't seen it in forever, so I'm not sure how I would like it. But I do remember thinking it was the best of the three. Also, your rant on the soundtracks were great. Yeah, we <laughs> talked about how random that the soundtrack was in Rugrats in Paris with all the, um, you know, R&B and pop singers that were really popular at the time who sang a lot of the songs from the movie. Well, that, that was just kind of like a, a, a thing of its time. I think you could probably defend. But yeah, as I don't see how, you know, babies, walk, you know, were running around a theme park uh, somehow relates to who let the dogs out. You know, like, uh, they, and also you could probably say that, well, you know, they need to just put in a song. I don't know. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, looking back at, uh, you know, the um, uh, Rugrats in Paris and, uh, you know, of course, this movie was going to be like hyped to hell because, you know, at the time Rugrats was like their biggest Nicktoon. At the time, yes. and uh, I think it would. Uh, I mean, how how long was it into uh, when SpongeBob SquarePants was on the scene? At this point, um, well, if it was um, 1999 that SpongeBob aired, it it was only on like one year. Exactly. So I mean, like SpongeBob was still getting his um, his bearings, if you will. So I mean, that was um, one thing that was currently going on, and also just but at the time, Rugrats was the thing, and yeah. uh, everybody wanted to see the Rugrats, and everybody knew who the Rugrats was. 
uh, at mm-hmm. that point. And uh, there, I mean, probably, I mean, obviously, Rugrats has been back on TV recently, but uh, you know, for better or for worse. But uh, um, a lot of people, at least at the time, like you know, there was um, there was I remember there was the Happy Meal toys, there was the Burger King toys. I think there was. I think actually they were both in Happy Meals and Burger yeah, King. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we even talked about how heavily promoted Rugrats in Paris was. Oh yeah, it was, and uh, but it was a big thing because the Rugrats movie, you know, prior to that had been such a success, even though it was probably like you know. Uh, I don't know, like, I mean, in regards to how, you know, the story went, it kind of makes sense, because it's a big event, because obviously it's introducing a new character, and obviously it's bringing the uh, the babies outside of their element, if you will, and putting them more in, like, in an adventurous environment. But um, in regards to the execution, well, I mean, uh, if we ever come to it, we'll talk about it, but... Uh yeah, but uh, I mean, Rugrats in Paris, I think, was a great, a great successor to the Rugrats movie, and yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 and I still stand by that it's the best out of the trilogy. Yeah, I just remember we didn't do a commentary on it. Like, uh, you know, we did, we've done a commentary on Jimmy Neutron, but and we'll release that at some point. But uh, um, we never, did, I don't think we ever did a commentary on Rugrats in Paris, which uh, we never did. No, no, that would have been a good commentary to do, actually. So, uh, oh well. Yeah. All right, so the next comment comes from Come On Fuhugagats, who said, I haven't seen this movie since it came out. The only thing I remember is rolling my eyes at the Japanese and French stereotypes and an overall sense of the show trying way too hard to be more than just an extra long TV episode. Yeah, well, I mean, it has aged. I think we can all agree. Like, I don't think some of the stereotypes I think that were in Rugrats in Paris, you, could def- you couldn't get away with today. I don't think. I think uh, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, this is a stereotypical kind of like French person. This is a stereotypical Japanese person. Like, yeah, this is... uh these are stereotypes that we thought we'd walked away from, you know, uh, from from many decades ago. But uh, no, they're, they're they're still pretty new, you know. When you can even go back as far as the early two thousands to find them. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, this is a comment from Ryan DT who said, "Also, grimace from the wacky adventures of Ronald McDonald. Klasky Chupo used the Freddy Cat trope with him." Okay, so I did mention this about how Klasky Chupo tends to use like the similar tropes to their characters over and over and over again. And I was talking about the Freddy Cat trope with uh, Chucky. And so apparently, grimace from Ronald, uh, the wacky adventures of Ronald McDonald was one of them. So okay, I mean, I, I if I mentioned before that the only way the reason why I know about the wacky adventures of Ronald McDonald was because my cousin had a birthday party at McDonald's many years ago when they actually gave him a copy of like the first videotape of that for his birthday. So. Yeah, I have. I think I saw it like once, but I have no recollection of it, so uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we ever got the McDonald's, uh, you know, cartoon show. I think uh, here oh, in the you, UK. Okay. No, I don't think we have. I don't think we ever got it. Like uh, maybe it might be released on VHS somewhere. Maybe somewhere it's going to like you know uh, dig you know into their cellar and uh, find you know this old you know VHS tape which is you know in PAL format and uh, has like you know that, that adventure on it. I don't know, but uh, I mean in regards to uh, Classic Chupo, I mean like uh, the only big you know uh, I mean we got plenty of Classic Chupo stuff. I mean obviously we got the early epi- you know, episodes of The Simpsons when they first came out, but, uh, I mean, obviously they, we got the Rugrats as well, and I think we also got some other Classic Chupo shows uh, that were on British mm-hmm. television, but the McDonald's, you know, uh, shows were definitely not one of them. So. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, for all of the people who uh, commented on our, um, you know, episode of um, In Search of the Crystal Skull, thank you so much, and uh, uh, even though that I had it on premiere, about, like, 10 people showed up to it, so thank you for those who tuned in, and uh, next week, we will be talking about uh, the, uh, you know, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, uh, so stay tuned. Cool. 
Okay then, so uh, we have got some really exciting news, and that is uh, Returns of Monkey Island is a go. So uh, the new game by Ron Gilbert uh, that picks up where Monkey Island 2, uh, Lichok's uh, Revenge, leaves off. So um, we both watched the trailer. So, uh, you know, like, uh, it sort of has that, you know, modern you know, a 2D, you know, uh, charm to it, like uh, we seem to be getting with uh, most of 2002 2D uh, scrollers at this point, so I think, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, can it be pulled off with Monkey Island, do you think? You know, it's actually interesting about that you mentioned that, because um, I remember when, um, you know, Monkey Island made a huge comeback thanks to Telltale Games, when they, you know, revitalized the series, and then they even released, like, um, you know, the remastered version of it. And a lot of people just started really getting into it again. And then um, I remember that um, there was like talks about another Monkey Island game, even though people thought that this was never going to happen. But then um, we had 2009's Tales of Monkey Island, which was at the time the last game of the series. And a lot of people felt that, you know, this was kind of like the comeback of the point and click adventure games when, Pretty much it was dead for pretty much a decade. I mean, other than, like, um, you know, various games like Grim Fandango, uh, you know, it didn't really, like, um, you know, made a massive comeback until Telltale Games came along. But then when Telltale Games shut down after they were finished with their Walking Dead uh, uh, point-and-click miniseries, um, we didn't expect to see that, oh, not only is Monkey Island coming back with a new game, but Ron Gilbert, the creator of Monkey Island himself, is actually going to be a part of it. So I'm sure that you guys know about the story, but for those who don't, that Ron Gilbert had left LucasArts around the time in which when Monkey Island 2 was done. And so the other games in the series that were done, um, you know, with the Monkey Island name, Ron Gilbert had nothing to do with it. And so now we have this new version of Monkey Island that is going to be developed by Ron Gilbert's um, company, uh, Terrible Toy Box Studio, and it's going to be involved with De uh, Devolver Digital and Lucasfilms. And they are bringing this back, and a lot of people are really, really excited about it. Yeah, like, uh, Monkey Island definitely is a classic among Amongst, uh, you know, people who love these uh, types of games. And uh, uh, here's the thing about this, though. I, I kind of missed out, I think, on Monkey Island. You know, like, I wasn't really, like, uh, all that, like, on board with uh, Monkey Island when it's uh, when it was around. But, uh, you know, though I do know a lot of people who do and uh, are really excited for this. So I think uh, this is a great thing to announce. I think at this point. Yeah, same thing. I, I was never into like the point and click adventure games as well because I just found them to be so difficult. But some of my favorite, um, you know, reviewers online love this game. And even Lisa Foyles, as you know, for the one of the former cast members of all that, you know, her favorite video game of all time is Monkey Island. So, uh, you know, she was really excited about this. I saw her on Instagram and she was posting about this. And even like people like Pushing Up Roses, who talks about PC games, you know, she was really excited about this too. So, yeah, a lot of people were just like stunned that they were like waking up one day and then they found out there's a trailer to a new Monkey Island game and the man himself, Ron Gilbert, is a part of it. Mm -hmm. So, now here's the thing that um, a lot of people need to remember that this has nothing to do with Monkey Island's 3, 4, 5, and the um, the Tales of Monkey Island that Telltale did. So this has nothing to do with it. This is a what you would call a proper continuation of the Monkey Island game. So this takes place right after Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge. So this is like 
a different continuity. I, I, it's kind of it's gonna be confusing actually. It's like you know I'm playing you know the third installment of Monkey Island. Well, which one? There because there's like now gonna be two of them. So no, the one that it was actually done by Ron Gilbert. So well, well this this, this, this is Return to Monkey Island. So like it's uh, I don't yeah. think it like I guess it goes off on its own trail. I guess. Yeah, so. it, it does. It does go on its own completely different story. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we'll let you know more information if we get it. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, we'll let you know. All right. All right, then, everybody. Uh, happy 99th birthday to Warner Brothers this week. Uh, so uh, the uh, famous company of Bugs Bunny has uh, turned uh, 99, and also already they're getting prepared for 100. So uh, they recently released a uh, a new logo for uh, Warner Brothers, and it includes Bugs Bunny in a uh, with uh, 100 written on it, and he's included one of the zeros. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think that... Um... Yeah, let's just be honest. I mean, Warner Brothers, uh, did you hear the news about what happened to Warner Brothers recently? Uh, no, actually, I haven't. Well, uh, they merged with Discovery. So Discovery had just uh, purchased the rights to Warner Brothers, uh, to Warner Media, I'm sorry, because you know that Warner Media has been going through a lot of, um, you know, difficulties in terms of finances. A lot of their movies that they've been releasing have been not doing very well in the box office, and a lot of their properties haven't been doing really well either. And so... That's right. Discovery has now uh, merged with Warner Media, so now it's known as Warner Brothers Discovery. Well, I think it's. Uh, I think for them, probably it's going to be a win-win. So, like, I mean, Discovery obviously has uh, you know a lot of um, you know content, and uh, Warner Media have a lot of content uh, with themselves as well. So, I think uh, obviously with the uh, the streaming wars currently going on, I think uh, you know I think there is going to be like uh, a need for them to kind of like battle in. So, I mean, like. Uh, if, um, I don't know, like, uh, it's, it remains to be seen whether this is going to be a negative or a positive. I mean, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like, uh, are the DC movies going to get any better out, out of this? You know, like... I have uh, no idea. I have no idea. No idea. Um, but... All I know, all I know is, is that um, a lot of people have been mixed with company mergers. I mean, we saw what happened with, um, you know, CBS Viacom. I mean, Viacom CBS, I'm sorry. Viacom CBS, when they first merged, it didn't exactly go very well. Go watch our um, collaboration together when we did the aftermath of the history of Hey Arnold, the Jungle movie. So, yeah, let's just say that when they merged, they lost a lot of stocks and bonds and revenues, and they fired a lot of people. So, yeah, they started off not very well. Let's just hope that Warner Media Discovery doesn't go through a similar path. Mm-hmm. Well, according to this, since the merger, uh, uh, Warner Brothers CEO Anna Sarnoff, uh, she's exited her role as, uh, as dis- in the Discovery merger, so she's already gone. Okay, well, all right, let's just see what happens next. So, yeah, I mean, I think that in terms of that, I mean, um, I think that uh, another thing that they've been going through was um, another bit of controversy is that they were supposed to be releasing um, a Flash movie. And it was going to be like, you know, finally, we're going to see a, a movie based off of The Flash because that movie has been delayed since 1997. So, unfortunately, now they're being delayed again because the person who was going to play as The Flash is Ezra Miller. And there has been a lot of controversies revealed in terms of what's been going on with Ezra Miller because he was recently arrested and charged on... uh. Okay, well, for those who don't know, he was arrested for disorderly conduct and harassment. And now a lot of people are putting this stuff on hold because of that. So, yeah, that's another thing that's going on with um, DC at the moment. And, 
Anyway. Yeah. And then well, there was also announcements regarding about that um, the head of Warner Brothers and Sarnoff has left the company after the Discovery deal. So there's that. And I think the only thing that was like brought up in terms of like people being excited about is that the Fantastic Beasts movie is coming out. So Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore is going to be coming out in a couple of days on April 15th. And there's been a lot of stuff that has been you know coming out in terms of like promotional stuff but then a lot of people are bringing up this discussion about the whole jk rowling controversy so yeah i mean i don't know well i mean warner brother warner media discovery i mean they're merging into some pretty controversial stuff in the in the, in the get-go yeah anyway moving away from that um obviously one thing that might be uh, taking interest i think amongst uh, warner brothers fan is going to be the what's going to happen with the multiverse game that's uh, going to be coming yeah, out because uh, uh, this is going to be uh, one of a Warner Brothers version of Smash Brothers, pretty much. So they're calling it Warner Smash Brothers, I guess you could say. Um, one the the uh, official roster has been uh, has somewhat been announced. So uh, shall we go through the names and see what we think? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so uh, in this uh, Warner Smash Brothers, if you will, uh, it's going to include uh, Aira Stark. That's from Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Arya Stark. Arya Stark. Um, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yep, that's nah, a surprise. Uh, Batman. Yeah, oh yeah, man, course. Bugs Bunny versus Batman. Yes, okay. I want to see that fight. Uh, Finn and Jake. Yeah, uh, from Adventure Time, that's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, Garnet from uh, Steven Universe. Yes, <laughs> I mean, like, of course. Yeah, uh, Harley Quinn. Ooh, yeah, that, that, that'd be a really good one, yeah. Uh, Rain Dog. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting, yeah. yeah Rain Dog. Um, Shaggy uh, from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the only reason why Shaggy's even in the roster in the first place is because of that stupid meme that was around for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, Steven Universe himself is also in this. Um, Superman, right, yeah. Superman's also going to be in this. Uh, Tom and Jerry, I'm not sure if, sure if they're actually going to be separate characters or like if it's going to be like a Duck Hunt situation, but uh, they're both yeah, in Yeah, it's this. probably going to be a Duck Hunt situation from the, from the looks of it. Yeah, and also uh, Wonder Woman is also going to be in this as well. So, okay. Yeah, so that's what's been announced so far, and no doubt they'll add more characters as we go along. Yeah, they'll probably add more characters as they go along. So I'm genuinely curious about how this is going to turn out. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, Warner Brothers has their own version of Smash Brothers. Nickelodeon has their own version of Smash Brothers. I want to see, Car well, I mean, I guess this is kind of like Cartoon Network's version because, you know, Warner Media and all that stuff, and that's owned with Cartoon Network. So that's why we have Tom and Jerry and Shaggy and the characters from Adventure Time and Steven Universe. So, yeah, I mean, now we just have, like, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman... Bugs Bunny into the mix, and Arya Stark is a quick eye eyebrow raiser for sure because it's like you have a a character from Game of Thrones amidst like superheroes and cartoon characters. Mm -hmm. And by the way, uh, for those of you wondering about the uh, the merger, it, is, uh, it has officially closed. Uh, yeah, as, it's, as it's officially today. closed. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's uh, and also they've uh, released a lo new logo as well. So interesting, love that Discovery is going to go with the WB logo from the looks of it. Yeah, so. they are. It should look really interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, what happens behind the logo, I think, is going to be important, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, we'll keep you on tabs with on that, but uh, moving on, uh, so happy 99th birthday to uh, Warner Brothers, even though now it's uh, it's birthday, but he's now Discovery, from the looks of it, mm -hmm. so, yeah. 
Okay, um, we have got the trailer for the Bob's Burgers movie, and, uh, I mean, listening to some people talk about it, I mean, like, uh, they're just gonna say, oh, they just added some shading, and it's a Bob's Burgers episode. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the main complaint that a lot of people have said. There's even, like, this stupid meme that uh, somebody put in for Family Guy. It's like, this is what Family Guy looks on uh, TV. Little shading. This is what Family Guy looks like in a movie. So, yeah, a lot of people made fun of this. And, you know, I mean, what do you expect? It's a movie based off of an animated series. I mean, we don't get these very often. I mean, we used to back in the day, but not anymore. And also, and here's the th sad thing. This is the first animated movie from Disney that has been 2D for over a decade. Mm, so, uh, a lot riding on this, I think, for uh, 2D fans, I think. So, yes. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, so, I mean, uh, Bob's Burgers the movie. Like, uh, I mean, for me... Um, I mean, I, I've yet to get into Bob's Burgers, I've got to be honest with everybody, so, like, uh, it has been one that kind of has passed me by a little bit, but, uh, I mean, uh, I'm guessing what's, uh, I mean, the premise right now is that uh, a ruptured water main creates a sinkhole uh, right in front of Bob, Bob's Burgers, uh, blocking the entrance and uh, ruining the, uh, uh, the the Belch's plans to for a successful summer. While Bob and Linda struggle to keep uh, the business afloat, uh, the kids try to solve the mystery of what uh, could save their family's restaurant. So yeah, I mean, so, as somebody as somebody who is a Bob's Burgers fan, this is very consistent with the show. That's the thing that made a lot of people really love Bob's Burgers because you see, they're about a struggling family who are trying to make ends meet so that they can be able to keep themselves afloat. They're not like oh, um, a middle class family. They're not a rich family. They are a common everyday working class family who just so happen to have a burger restaurant that. It, you know, doesn't attract a lot of customers, but there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of funny moments. There's a lot of heartwarming moments. And that's what a lot of people really love and gravitate to. I mean, how does that differ from The Simpsons? Um, what it differs from The Simpsons is that um, there's not a lot of commentary on Bob's Burgers. They focus more along the lines of like really quick jokes. A lot. It's very character driven as opposed to like, you know, joke driven. You know, a lot of the characters are more wittier than, um, I would say, from The Simpsons. And also, they get into much more realistic kind of uh, situations. There's very rare chance in which a situation goes, like, really wacky. I mean, and if it does, it's either because it's either a figment of a person's imagination, or if a person is sick, or if a person has, like, a substance on them. So, yeah, it's more realistic and down-to-earth so than in, The Simpsons. So in, a way, so, in a way, it's more kind of like King of the Hill. In a way. Something like that. Again, with, with King of the Hill, they do bring up, like, commentary on, like, various other things. But Bob's Burgers is a lot more grounded even than King of the Hill. Um, they do uh, deal with a lot of, um, you know, issues as well. But I think that what a lot of people really love about Bob's Burgers is because of how relatable it is and on how funny the characters are. So it does kind of, like, you know, scratch the same itch as King of the Hill, except that with King of the Hill, they also bring in a lot of commentary about politics and about relationships and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Bob's Burgers doesn't really go too deep into that. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, some of the things like uh, Good Grief. Uh, one, one headline I got here is that the Bob's Burgers movie can repeat the Simpsons mo movie genius track. So, uh, mm. Mm. well, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm personally excited about this. I'm going to see this movie in theaters. So um, I'll let you know about my thoughts on it. But um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are just like turned off by movies that are based off of TV shows. I mean, we even talked about this with, you know, Rugrats in Paris. And we'll talk about this in another movie for In Search of the Crystal Skull. But 
you know, movies that are based off of TV shows need to really up themselves. It cannot just be extended versions of the episodes. Well, well Otherwise, here, here's, be... here's the thing about this. I'm sure I've said this more than once, I think, on this show. But, I mean, the reason you do uh, a movie is, I mean, mainly because you want money. I mean, like, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> that's, what keep, that's, what, that's what keeps these, these studios afloat. But uh, another thing about the when you release a movie is that there is going to be something that's going to happen in the story of the of that's been told in the TV show that it can't just be on a TV screen it needs to be on a th- it needs to be a theatrical thing so like i mean the one thing i'll say about the simpsons movie is that i mean like it wasn't <sighs> I mean, uh, uh, th- we've seen quite a lot of epic things happen in The Simpsons. I mean, like, obviously, there was the incident in Scratchy Land incident, and then there was, like, uh, various other things that happened in uh, in The Simpsons that were quite, you know, qu- quite epic in that. So it kind of, like, you know, to have the whole, like, you know, you know like the whole EPA kind of, like, you know, sailed them all in a dome, and then you had, like, The Simpsons, like, escaping and stuff. Like, you know, like, uh, that, I mean, there's nothing that was there in The Simpsons movie that couldn't have been told, like, in a TV special. I don't think, in, in regards to that. So I think that's the reason why, I mean, they'll say the Simpsons movie wasn't liked, and, like, you know, they'll say that it wasn't, you know, uh, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, it, it wasn't successful. It was successful, I'm, I'm not saying that. But, uh, I mean, with, in, in my opinion, for a TV, like for, for, a, for a theatrical movie based on a TV show to exist, the justification to me is that something in the story needs to basically happen that's so dramatic that it basically will change everybody's lives. Pretty yeah. much, and like. Oh, now yeah. let me ask you some. Now let me ask you something, Aaron. Has there been a TV show that eventually was brought into the theaters that you felt, oh yeah, this was justified. This needed to be in a theater. Oh, you know, like, uh, huh. um, that's a great question. And uh, I mean, I mean, we can't count the Jungle movie, can we? Because obviously that was a TV movie. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, but you know, his original premise was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a theatrical movie. So, yeah. uh, I mean, that sort of half counts. And, uh, you know, um, I guess you could say, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, um, I'm really sorry. I should have come prepared for this conversation, really. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can bring you one. I think that the Powerpuff Girls movie definitely was meant to be shown in theaters because it tells the origin stories of the Powerpuff Girls, how they were created, what was the reaction from the world when they were first featured, you know, all the mistakes that they did until eventually we do got to see them become superheroes and then it would lead up into the TV show. It was a great origin story. And a thing that we complained about Rugrats in Paris is that in order for you to be invested with the movie you needed to be a fan of the show and if you were not you were lost the powerpuff girls movie was very smart in which it's an origin story we got to see how the powerpuff girls were first created we got to see how mojo jojo was first created and then we got to see you know how townsville reacted to them and so it played off really well it was able to broaden out something that was that you couldn't do in an, you know, like in a TV special. And Powerboat Girls has done TV specials in the past. So I felt that that was justified as to saying, yeah, I can definitely see this being a theatrical movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is probably another one because obviously that was, uh, you know, an epic adventure of, you know, even though uh, <laughs> at this point, you know, I was kind of sick of SpongeBob at that point. But uh, at, the same, at the same time, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie at least took, you know, Sp- SpongeBob and Patrick out of their element and uh, put them on this epic adventure. So, like, there's a justification for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie to exist, you know, yeah. in, in my opinion. And also, don't forget that this was meant to be, like, the last thing that SpongeBob was ever going to release. Oh, also, there's the Star Trek movies as well. Like, you know, like, yeah. uh, when, you know, you know when, uh, what should we, when uh, Ca- Captain, 
you know, when William Shatner basically left the show. Yeah, Captain Wait, Kirk. Captain Kirk, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a Star Trek guy, guys. Come on. Like uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, well, that's okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it depends because I mean, you know that joke that everybody brings up when it comes to like the classic Star Trek movies, like the even numbers are the best ones and the odd numbers were crap. Well, they're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. um, also there was yeah, uh, I'm yeah. just looking at some other ones as well, like so the Adams family was another one, you know, the one back back in 1991. I mean, I, that's all the uh, the story of like uh, you know, uh, you know, Uncle Festel, you know, basically leaving the family because he wasn't going to get married to that crazy woman. Yeah. And, uh, so there was uh, that was kind of a big event in the Adams family, I guess you could say. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then there was Mission Impossible as well, and that's uh, that was the that was like the first Tom Cruise Mission Mission Impossible. And uh, that, yeah, a lot that, of people that... seem to forget that Mission Impossible was a TV series. Exactly. Yeah, and that upped the ante, pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and um, I mean, another one was the Brady Bunch movie. From what I can the, see. Okay, now, yeah, the Brady Bunch movie was definitely, I wouldn't say it's like a perfect adaptation of like the TV show. It was definitely like, you know, a, a spoof of it. It was making fun of the tropes that the Brady Bunch was known for. It's like, okay, we have this family from the 60s and they're interacting with, you know, what the 90s modern day equivalent was. And it was a joke uh, kind of like uh, situation. And that's what made it funny. Mm-hmm. And also, Adore uh, in the Lost City of Gold is another example like this, in which you know they were able to make fun of the tropes of Dora the Explorer, and that was great. It was hilarious. Yeah, uh, I did see that movie actually. I need to uh, get. I did see that movie. Yes, and uh, you know, go check out the podcast that I did with uh, Remington Keys from the Nerd Talk podcast, where we talked about Dora in the Lost City of Gold. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I've missed me. out on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's if you like like uh, references and just uh, poking fun of itself and just a bunch of jokes. It's great. It is so hilarious. Yeah, and uh, also if you remember, there was GI Joe the movie where they had to rewrite the ending because they were going to kill off GI Joe. <laughs> they had to yes. just say that he was in a coma. <laughs> yeah, oh. I remember. Because there was uh, people were so angry when they killed off Optimus Prime. Also in the Transformers the movie too. And uh, that that was a big thing that happened in that movie. <laughs> it was, it was Prime yeah, like all, all of the main characters died. <laughs> yeah, and they replaced him with Including new Including Optimus Prime. Yeah. Yep. And uh, they brought him back, actually, from the dead from that one, on that, that creepy yeah, episode. Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, there was that. Um, let's have a look. So there was that. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, uh, I mean, love it or hate it, there's also the X-Files movie, too, which, uh, I mean, I didn't think actually kind of played to the continuity of the show, if I was mm-hmm. correct. And, uh, okay. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, so th- there are plenty of examples of like you know shows from TV that were able to go into theaters pretty well. So for people who are complaining that oh there's never been any good examples of this and Bob's Burgers is gonna fail, it's like give it a chance, people. Yeah. So um, well here we go. I mean we're gonna be I mean we're less than fifty days now until it gets released. So like yeah, uh, yeah it's we're... gonna be released on Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, there we go. Right, uh, Patricia, I'll let you take the floor on this because uh, you got some thought, post thoughts on to- your tsunami uh, casual chats that you did with uh, Jim Bevan, I believe. Okay, yeah. Yes, I did. So, uh, for those who don't know, Toonami was a uh, Cartoon Network blog in 1997 that featured a lot of uh, classic anime as well as uh, classic cartoons from the 80s. And the original host of it was not Tom, it was Moltar. If you remember, that was the character from uh, Space Ghost. And in Space Ghost Coast to Coast, you know, he was the original host, and then they transitioned over to Tom 1.0. 
And he was voiced by Sonny Strait, uh, if you guys know, who is the voice of Krillin from Dragon Ball and Usopp from One Piece and various other characters. So um, that's when they started to implement more anime into the mix-up. They started to put in things like Cowboy Bebop and Tenchi Muyo and uh, Yu Yu Hakusho and various other anime. And then eventually there was a huge storyline with, with involving the ship The Absolution and, you know, Tom was killed off, and then there was Tom 2.0, and he was voiced by Steve Bloom, and Steve Bloom would continue being the voice of Tom throughout the rest of um, the, the Toonami run. And so then a lot more anime was featured. There was Bleach, there was Naruto, there was One Piece, there was Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon. For a lot of people who grew up during this time period, this was their gateway into anime. And not only that, it was also featuring video game reviews, it also featured music videos, it also featured life lessons that Tom would talk about, and a lot of people really gravitated to it. In a time in which when Snake was at a decline, Toonami and Adult Swim were like rising up to the top. And unfortunately, that's when the... the um, the rating started to drop around the late 2000s, and then around 2008, Toonami was was closed, and they no longer had any, um, you know, showcasing of anime unless you were tuning into Adult Swim. And so, um, for years, you know, they would like show off movies and various things, and then every year on April 1st, they would show The Room. Yeah, Tommy was so's The Room. And one night that they were doing this in 2012, there was an April Fool's Day joke that they brought Toonami back, and it's been stuck like that ever since. So yeah, Toonami has been almost back on the air for 10 years, which is crazy. So uh, looking back on the discussion that I had with Jim and Eli, so we talked about um, you know our fond memories of it, and we talked about how it was like a major influence for a lot of people who got into anime. And so I actually do have a comment from our good buddy Antonio Garcia, if you remember he was in the Yu Yu Show podcast and the As Told by Ginger podcast. And he also was with us in the 10th anniversary Old School Lane um, celebration. So here we go. Toonami has always been one of my most favorite Cartoon Network blocks of all time next to Adult Swim. I, I had wonderful memories with Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, Gundam Wing, and Tenchi Muyo from 2005. Uh, yeah, from 2000 to 2005. I was super gutted when Toonami was canceled back in 2008, but I remember being really elevated when it returned as a Saturday night block for Adult Swim. It's quite surreal that Toonami is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Here's hoping that Toonami continues to stay gold. So yeah, recently Toonami had its huge 25th anniversary celebration, and now they're revamping their schedule again, and um, they're you know, doing a lot of good things. I mean, Toonami is still hanging on strong, and a lot of people are really loving it, and so... Yeah, I mean, you know, here's to Toonami for another 25 years. Hmm. Okay, so um, that was Toonami. So, um, yeah, I hope you check out that podcast, by the way, because, you know, it's really good. So. Yeah, thank you. Cool. All right, then, so let's move on to the Grammys. And so the big two stories that are coming out of the Grammys right now is that Pixar's Soul has won Best uh, Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. So, uh, and by the way, um, Soul is a great Pixar movie. You know, like, uh, not, uh, I'm sorry that's a bit of a redundant term, I guess you could say for Pixar. But, uh, no, seriously, Soul is, you know, from inside to out, is, uh, you know, one of the one of the best Pixar uh, films. And uh, it sounds great as well. And uh, here's the proof here, because it's going to get Grammy for a best score soundtrack for visual media. So. Yeah, and we even talked about this in uh, the Pixmix episode with... 
um, you know, discussing about Seoul. But I mean, imagine that what our surprise when we heard that Atticus Finch from Nine Inch Nails did the soundtrack, we were just like really surprised. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Nine Inch Nails. I mean, they did the soundtrack for Quake as well. So like, I mean, I know, like, but I mean, it's to be expected with Quake having like that rockin' soundtrack. But with you know, um, jazz it's music, actually, it's actually in... not that rockin'. It's actually in, in places like it really puts you like in an early nervy element. Like it's just it's uh, you know like it's, it's a different from Doom where like you're you know going around you know obviously you know blowing up demons and you know with a with like you know with metal guitars and everything like that going around. It's like it's uh, no Quake puts you like in a really like you know scary environment. Yeah, pretty much. So well, that, like, that just goes to show you how um, versatile that Atticus Finch is. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, like, uh, so Nine Inch Nails doing something like this probably doesn't surprise me all that much. And uh, same probably goes for Sonic Mayhem as well. But uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, in regards to uh, them picking this up, I think it's wholly deserved. In my opinion. Oh, ab absolutely, yeah, and uh, you know, I hope this will like show the um, the the people at the academy. It's like, yeah, you see that an animated film was able to win a Grammy for their music. So, yeah, suck on that. Hmm. They've always treated it the same way. Homer Simpson treats his Grammy. I don't, I don't know, but. Uh... <laughs> Well, that's it. Anyway, anyway, and another Grammy news is that uh, a Kirby uh, song cover has also won the Grammys as well. <laughs> yes, yes, they have. So the Eight Bit Band had recently won their cover for um, a Kirby song, and I think it was Kirby Star Allies, I believe. And yeah, they they won that, and you know, congratulations for them for doing that. Again, um, you know, very similar to animated shows, video games are also like talked very down amongst you know various people. So I'm hoping that this would also bring you know um, recognition to say that hey, you know, video games are also known for having such beautiful, amazing rock and songs too. Yeah. And by the way, we'll be talking a bit long longer about this probably in uh, none of the above, but uh, BTS uh, uh, expressed their disappointment in not winning a Grammy this year. Well, I mean, it's it's sad to say the least, but I mean, hey, I mean, you know, they gave it their their best shot. I mean, I you know, um, congratulations for all the winners of um, the Grammys, and you know, I'm I'm really happy for you know your wins, and uh, for those who didn't, I mean, there's always next year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those are the big news coming out of that, and uh, we're now going to pay tribute to uh, Estelle Harris. Uh, the uh, she played the nagging uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Constant. Contenanza, sorry, I don't pronounce very well. On uh, Contenzo, yeah, Contenzo, from, uh, yeah, from yeah, Seinfeld. She was, she was, she was, um, yeah, she was George's Contenzo. mother from Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, she has died at the age of ninety-three. So uh, uh, tribute is paid to her. Also, uh, people probably didn't know this, but uh, she actually played Mrs. Potato Head in um, uh, in Toy Story as well. That's right, yeah. So uh, now a lot of people are saying, well, now her and Don Rickles can finally be together up in heaven as Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Mm -hmm. So. Um, also, some of the other things to uh, note in her career, so uh, she was uh, also, uh, she she had like a, a number of roles, by the way, in regards to this, so, you know, so Mrs. Potato Head was actually her, her stay in the Pixar, uh, pretty much, and uh, also she uh, played uh, a, in a, in three episodes, she was uh, Peg Leg uh, Peg in uh, Captain Jake and the Neverland Pirates. In that yeah. as well, and uh, she uh, she also played Oz's mom in Fanboy and Chum Chum, probably not, probably not one of her best roles. Yeah. <laughs> I we could say. <laughs> Uh, she also appeared as uh, Velma Farnsworth in Futurama. Yep, that's well. right. Yeah, I remember this. Uh, I've, that would be, um, what was it? Like, what was it? Professor Farnsworth's mother or grandmother? I, I, it's been a while since I've seen Futurama. Mm -hmm. And uh, also she uh, played uh, Sylvester's mother in uh, Lunison's show. So uh, she has played uh, quite a few uh, um, yeah. elderly people 
in um, yeah, in that, I mean that that does that that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, shows yeah. us Marty's wife in American Dad. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I mean she has done a lot of animated uh, roles. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to. Yeah, there's a thing like uh, you know where she is. You know, a lot of people don't realize this. Actually, she has played uh, quite a few uh, other roles in like you know, in 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 animation. So in the, she was in the Empress New School as uh, Mrs. Mutka. Uh, yep, I well. remember that. Yep, and uh, she was also in David the Barbarian too, as Lula. Mm, yeah, yeah, that that was a, a a role that a lot of people remember her for as well. Also, uh, one thing I think you might have passed you by, I think maybe uh, Patricia, is that uh, she also played uh, uh, was it uh, Manya in uh, one episode of That's Told by Ginger. That's right. Yes, she was. Uh, I believe it was in the wedding frame. Yeah, she was actually one of Mrs. Dave's friends. Um, where she was the one who actually served the cake to Lois, and then um, afterwards she actually passed out because there was like um, like a, a sleeping agent in there, so that they can be able to take pictures of Lois with her ring, and then um, yeah, that was a crazy scene. I think I remember talking about that with um, Eric and um, the cast of As Told by Ginger. Is like you know I can't believe this actually happened. You know the character that Estelle Harris played, who drugged Lois. So that they can be able to steal her ring to give it to Nikki Laporte, taking pictures of it to show that she was quote unquote cheating on with Dr. Dave. So that, you know, Dr. Dave's mother doesn't have to have Lois as her daughter-in-law. That was some messed up stuff. Well, it was, uh, it was, it was the thing of its time pretty much. Like, uh, we, had, we had more excitement back in the 90s, I think, that in the 2000s, I think, <laughs> I think that we do today. Pretty much, yeah. but uh, I don't know. Maybe our spoiler section will prove us wrong. I think uh, maybe in that, but uh, also in Teacher's Pet, she was uh, Mrs. Bogan as well. I haven't seen, I haven't really seen Teacher's Pet, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it and saying that it was a pretty good show. Yeah. And she was Mrs. Turtle in House of Mouse. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So those are some of yeah, her. Uh, so... Yeah, so those are some of her uh, notes into, into animation. So uh, you know, she has been, she has been uh, some of uh, very memorable voices in uh, quite mm -hmm. a few of these things so you know like uh, yeah we're, we're seriously gonna miss her because you know uh you know at the age of 93 i think uh, she's uh, done really well in regards to her career and has yeah. entertained us very thoroughly so. yeah she she had a she had a very fruitful career and a very you know um long fulfilling life so you know rest in peace and condolences to her friends family and colleagues yeah and also, uh, just to let you guys know, just before we came on for recording, uh, we got the sad news that uh, Jambariki's uh, father has also passed away too. So yeah. uh, we want to send out. So uh, he he's been a guest on uh, not not you know Jambariki's dad, but Jambariki himself has actually been uh, a guest on two occasions on the Aaron Meta show. And uh, so uh, I wanted to give our thoughts and uh, prayers to him and his family at this difficult time too. Absolutely, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is now out in theatres, so um, we are going to go see it at some point. Uh, we'll definitely let you know, and uh, at the moment, like, it is hovering in in search of the Crystal Skull territory at the moment, so uh, yeah. this, this opens up a bit of a debate, like, uh, whether we're going to do this for casual chats or whether we're going to do this for in search of the Crystal Skull, so... Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's good. I, I guess it depends on. Uh, I guess it depends on the ratings on when we're gonna go watch it because it can climb up or it can go down. Well, the moment it's in, it's in the '60s territory, which is in which is in in search of the Crystal Soul territory at the moment. So that is true. So it seems like we're gonna talk about it in Crystal Skull, just like we did the first movie. Well, not necessarily. I mean, like, uh, who else do we know who are Sonic fans? I mean, I mean, that's that's, that's a big, um, that's well, a big amount of people. Than, <laughs> let's see, other than Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, quite a lot of people I probably imagine. And uh, actually, I'm just looking yeah, a lot at this. of people are, yeah. I'm just looking at the updated score now, actually. is Actually, no, on the Smartsometer, actually, the moment is 67%. So it's actually climbing. Okay, so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be in the 70s by the time that we watch the movie. And the audience score is 97. 
So yeah, uh, I I mean I think that I heard one of the complaints from the critics was saying like they focus too much on Sonic and the other characters more than the humans. It's like the that's what that's everybody the, Sonic wanted. the Hedgehog. Good grief! Like uh, I, 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 that guy should not be taken seriously. I mean, like, uh, just, it's, uh, but, uh, um, in regards to, I don't know how to feel about audience scores, because, like, you know, if, if we went on, if we decided to, like, you know, not do the Tomatometer, and we basically did audience scores on, uh, on, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes for In Search of the Crystal Skull, I mean, to be honest with you, I think, uh, we're not gonna, I think that a lot of the fans, I think, clamber around, uh, audience scores just to boost it up. I think that's what I'm saying. It's kind of noticing on certain on certain uh, you know movies that seem to come out where critics will not see it very well, but then all the fans will like you know get around to the you know uh, the audience score and just jack and start j jacking it up, you know. Like I just think it's uh, yeah. Um, I just I, I don't know how to feel about that. Like uh, I don't think we should go on just audience scores. I think we should just uh, stay on the tomato message just for now, even though some people say that it's a bit broken. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll just wait and see. We'll see, but um, yeah, right now we, we can tell you that right now it's out now, and uh, yeah, go see it. So uh, and uh, if before we see, it, if you guys have an opinion for us, then let us know. So yeah, please let us know. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Um, we are now going to have a long-winded discussion on none of the above, aka the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards of uh, 2022. And uh, I've seen some clips. Like I've not seen, watched like, the entire like ceremony all the way through, but uh, I've got to be honest. Actually, this was a pretty good year. I think for the Kids Choice Awards, actually, it was really well done. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Even though they had Gronk as like was one as one of the hosts. Yeah, I, I guess so. But yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people saying that it turned out really well. I mean, even Jill Biden appeared in the, uh, you know, for a, a brief moment. Well, what did I say about the office of? I mean, we talked about this before when uh, remember Jill Biden appeared on Sesame Street. Uh, yeah, Sesame Street is one thing. KCA is another. Well, yeah, like, but at least we can say now that the office of first lady is now, you know, back when Melania Trump was basically trashing it. And now, like, uh, now we can say that it's a, a place of, you know, respect again. And like uh, you exactly. know, exactly, yeah. So um, now Jill Biden feel you know now they feel comfortable putting the first lady of the United States, uh, you know, back on Sesame Street, back on Nickelodeon, back in front of children. Like you know, like uh, imagine that, like imagine being told that you're the the the, the probably the the wife of the most powerful man in the world was not considered acceptable in front of kids. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, like now, you know, Jill Biden did a really good job, by the way, I think. She, she hit all the right notes. And, uh, you know, I, I thought she was going to slime herself, which I thought was going to be hilarious. But no, that didn't happen. That would have been funny. That, that would have been, been hilarious, funny. actually. Yeah, she should've, they should have done that. Where they, where they, where they, yeah, I don't think there's actually been an office of First Lady who's actually ever been, ever been slimed before. I don't think. So uh, I think it, we're, no. still, we're still waiting on that, I guess. So. <laughs> and speaking of slimed, uh, according to um, the article that I just read, that... Um, they had just celebrated their 1,000th slime in the KCA. So, yeah, they've been doing over 1,000. So, congratulations for them, too. I'm really surprised that like, they're only at 1,000. I thought they were, like, gone to a million at this point. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, how long has the Claude been around for now? <laughs> uh, over 40 years. <laughs> yeah, like, um, only just now, the 1,000th slime. I know. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, just to give you guys a bit of notes on uh, what's going on there. So, uh, the BTS mi missed out on the Grammys, but they did not miss out on the KCAs. They have won that one as well. So. Okay, well, at least they won an award. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, you can probably guess uh, SpongeBob won another blimp as well. 
Of so. course. Ah, there's Did, no taking down the sponge at this ha, point. Have you seen their Twitter account? Like, uh, they even made fun of the fact that they didn't make it. They actually didn't win it in 2008, and he was Avatar won it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I saw that too. <laughs> Probably doesn't it, talk it was about like, 2008. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were referencing the uh, Employee of the Month episode, and, you know, SpongeBob is there, and then Aang is like there, and it's like, you know, 19 out of 20. You know, SpongeBob has won, and then that one day, that one year where it didn't win was like a day of infamy. <laughs> it was a day of celebration for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the highlights, obviously, we saw about Jill Biden. Obviously, uh, you know we're doing that as well, and uh, being, being on the uh, on on the Kids Choice Awards. Oh, by the way, um, congratulations to Ariana Grande. She is now the most successful uh, female recording artist to win the Kids Choice Awards in history. She's now won nine. That's great. Congratulations for her. Yeah. So, like, uh, but uh, you, know, you think SpongeBob is, uh, you know, sweeping in all the blimps? Look at Ariana Grande right now. I don't think. I don't yeah, think she's missing I, a I beat. Think that, in my opinion, Ariana Grande is like one of the top people who, you know, was, uh, you know, her, her career got started in Nickelodeon and then she just like blew up after she left. Like, you know, she was doing Sam and Cat and she was doing like Zoe 101, where she was playing this character that was just agonizingly stupid. And people just, like, thought, oh, she can't act very well because, you know, she played as, like, this really ditzy character. But then when she left and she did her music career and then her career just blew up, like, unbelievable about where she came from. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, the WWE was also in a pair, uh, making a uh, appearance also at uh, Nickelodeon's Choice Awards. Uh, Sasha Banks was also there. Uh, so, oh, cool! Uh, I don't know what uh, what she presented. I can't actually remember, but uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, just to let you guys know, uh, iCarly did win an award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Miranda Cosgrove won for Best TV Actress as well, which that would have been really uncomfortable if she didn't win or if iCarly didn't win. That would have been like, eh. Yeah, so, I mean, you and I were kind of like saying before, like, uh, we were thinking that, uh, you know, they brought her in just to give her, a, you know, give her a blimp. So I think she, I yeah. think she was going to walk away with a blimp regardless anyway. So Exactly. And uh, also, High School Musical, the musical, the series, killed it at the KCA. They won for Favorite Kids TV Show favorite female TV star and favorite male TV star. They crushed it. Yeah. And by the way, Adele has uh, won the favorite Global Music Star Award for uh, the KCAs as well. So that's a fourth KCA win. Yeah. And also a surprise one is that uh, for male TV star, even though that Miranda Cosgrove won for hers, Jerry Trainer and Nathan Crest did not win for their stuff in iCarly. No, Tom Hiddleston won for Loki. Mm -hmm. Well, Loki was good. So. Yeah, sure, Loki was good, but I thought that, you know, it would have been an easy win for either Jerry or Nathan because they were in iCarly, but I guess not. Well, you know, Loki's meme fodder at the minute, so, like, I think a lot of people are going to be probably have that in their minds, I think, when, when they were voting, so. Yeah, and also Spider-Man No Way Home won, which, I mean, come on, that was, like, an easy win. Like, all the other movies that were nominated weren't even close to you know, winning whatsoever. And uh, Encanto won, which again, that was no. easy. I mean, it was it was a pretty close, actually. I mean, Luca was also a major contender, but the others, I mean, I know you saw Paw Patrol the movie and you said that that, you know, probably could have been an Oscar contender. But I mean, yeah, I mean, when you have movies like Boss Baby Family Business, it's like, eh. I tell you, I, I would yeah. prefer Paw Patrol the movie over Boss Baby any day. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, but rough for Nickelodeon because Sponge on the Run didn't win. Mm. I mean, so yeah, that that's pretty rough. So well, I mean, I mean Disney, they, they, he, he got he, he, he got his like you know uh, you know annual award anyway. So like, uh, it, I don't think they really cared. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, that's true. But you know, there were a lot of people who were you know from Nickelodeon that was nominated, but either Disney won or Illumination won. But yeah, I mean, like when it came to being other than SpongeBob and iCarly, everything else was crushed by some other company. You know, uh, Disney won for their animated movie and they won for their TV series. And, um, you know, when it comes to like, um, you know, Scarlett Johansson won for animated movie and Tom Kenny didn't even win for that one. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's geez. I mean, other than SpongeBob and iCarly, I mean, Nickelodeon didn't do very well in its own <laughs> awards ceremony. Yeah. By the way, um, shout out to uh, there's a, a WWE superstar called Bailey uh, who uh, she tore her ACL a couple of months ago, and uh, she was actually at the KCH that night. So uh, she's uh, obviously on the on the road to recovery from the looks of things. So, oh, cool, cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So. But, uh, I mean, overall, I mean, like, uh, the presentation was great. I mean, obviously it was Nickelodeon. I mean, obviously they make it bright and colourful. But, uh, dare I say, like, you know, uh, a lot of people were really, you know, really dressed up for this occasion. Like, you know, uh, the orange carpet seems to be getting some prestige at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been seeing people, like, dressing up like they were going to the Oscars with, like, these nice dresses and with all these nice-looking uh, shoes and jewelry and that kind of stuff. I mean, they were treating this like if it was, like, a legit um, award ceremony. And I thought, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and, uh, but, you know, um, also, they didn't lose their sense of fun, if you notice. Like, you know, uh, I mean, I think some people wore dresses knowing, I think, that, you know, a, 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 you know, a bucket of slime could hit them at any particular point. So like, uh, exactly. I think they came prepared, <laughs> which I think is a smart thing to do. I think in Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, congratulations to everybody who won a blimp, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, definitely see what uh, happens next next year. So yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Right, everybody. Uh, well, so much for that 10 minutes conversation, a very long conversation. <laughs> um, okay, so um, everybody, what's going to happen is is that uh, we are going to be going into our spoiler section next. And so you're going to notice a bit of a dip in audio quality as uh, we go into this. And it's going to go in and out. So um, what we're going to do is is that we're going to first talk about uh, the uh, first episodes of, uh, well, the, of last week's episodes of The Owl House. And then we're going to go into the new episodes of The Owl House. Then we're going to the uh, last week's episode of Amphibia, and then we're going to go into the new episodes of Amphibia. So we're going to go back and forth between that. But uh, so um, we are going to do that now. And so if you don't want to be spoiled on like the last two weeks of Owl House and Amphibia uh, episodes, then uh, please tune out now and uh, we will see you next week. So take care, everybody, and bye-bye for now. See you later. Okay, going once, going twice, going a third time. And we are now in spoiler territories. Let's first talk about uh, the Owl House Any Sport in a Storm. That is uh, the latest episode of the Owl House that uh, came out over the weekend. And uh, so I guess uh, what we've uh, learned about is that, uh, well, we, we, we almost swerved at one point because we originally thought that this was going to be an episode just about uh, Willow and uh, she's going to get like her own episode and uh, then there's going to be uh, a bit of um, you know interaction with the Golden Guard and we thought that there was going to be like a fight between them because, you know, you know, that's the kind of the theme that we've been going on with the Owl House. You know, uh, the Golden God fights with Luz. The Golden God fights with with Amity. The Golden God now fights with Willow. And this is going to be like, you know, confrontation number three in his way. But surprisingly, it wasn't. 
And uh, oh. so, yeah, this uh, ended up in... By the way, um, now uh, a lot of the fans are now actually getting behind Huntlow uh, because of this. No, please, come on. We just literally started, people. I mean, from the looks of it, Hunter respects Willow, saying, like, Captain, so... I mean, let's ju- let's just cool it down for a little bit, people. Well, I, I was originally Hunter, but for myself, you know, uh, Hunter and Emma. But uh, <laughs> okay, that's, uh, that, that was that was my original shit. But uh, no, I'm I'm actually sort of behind Hunt Low now as as as, 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 a, as a as a thing. But uh, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Enough, but I, I still think it's too soon. I, I agree. Like, I just think it is. But uh, I think you know, uh, in regards to like you know, I guess we'll talk about Hunter blushing in, a, in, a, in a later on in, later on in this. But uh, I mean, the other thing that uh, we weren't expecting as well is that uh, you know we're actually getting you know you and I have been talking about you know the Good Witch Azura and uh, about. Uh, you know, who created the books, where did they come from, everything like that. And, uh, you know, funnily enough, we sort of got a half answer to all of that in this episode. So, um, apparently, uh, by the way, there is something about this which I really want to get into, and that is this, is that, uh, so, the story is, is that Luz and Amity, uh, so Amity finds out that uh, the creator of uh, the, the Good Witch Azura, who I think is, uh, I can't remember the name of the uh, the character the, uh, they, they refer to, who was it, what was the name of the character, uh, um, the author of the books, they actually came up with a name for it. Yeah, they, they did give the name for it. And if you look in the back, um, they were even mentioning, like, oh, um, did you know that, um, you know, she's from the Boiling Isles? And then, um, Luce was like, no way, that can't be because, um, you know, she is a human. And then when they took a look in the back, it's like, oh, it looks the same thing, except the difference is that with Amity's book, it has the the elf, you know, witch The witch ears. is, yeah. And uh, yeah. The, the, the other person is, is uh, shown as a human. So they come to the con- they've come to uh, a, a theory that, you know, the, the author of the book can cross between realms, and that got us really excited, including me. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted, I wanted you know, this to be explained. And so, um, so that's the side. By the way, that's only the side uh, story, by the way, which is a ballsy side story to put to put in. You know, when we're th- when we when you're looking at the other subject matter that we're currently dealing with at the moment. So yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, we already did have um, you know, Loose and Amity uh, dedicated to like a, an, a you know their own episode like last week, and also we're gonna get another one next week. So I mean, it, it was about time that we got a focus on Willow because I mean, remember before that um, the season two B episode started airing and everybody on Reddit and Twitter was talking about like you know gus got his own episode where's willow's episode and i knew that they were going to do a willow episode so it's about time that we get her to, focus, to be fair know? like you know uh, willow i mean if you remember uh, i mean obviously they were more focused on losing episode i think it was like you know one of the thing the second episode when they were talking about you know uh, the teenage abomination episode where, yeah, uh, the know, Teenage Willow, Abomination episode, yeah. Yeah, where, Will, where Willow was in the Abomination track and she was miserable, and then she got transferred over to the plant track in, uh, in that yeah. one. So she sort of, like, had, like, you know, episode... And also, there was, keep in mind, there was Understanding Willow as well, which was uh, the uh, the episode where they pulled all the memories out of her bed and then they had to put them all back together again. So, like, yes, uh, yes. She, she has had, like, you know, mentions in episodes, but not anything, like, specific of her being, like, you know, the main focus of the episode until now. And so exactly. any, any sport in the storm focuses on Willow, and... And uh, she wants to start her own um, her own team, a sports team in uh, in the uh, in the Hexide uh, school. But the problem is, is that uh, her old teacher, who used to be in the Abomination track, has been holding it against her that she quit and she went to the Blanche track. And so he, she's not allowing her to basically have her like her, her derby team. So um, she he ends up throwing down a challenge to Willa to say, okay, if you can put a uh, team together uh, to um, you know challenge my team uh, at uh, at uh, 
a derby, then I will basically, you know, allow you to have that team, maybe allow you to have that team that year. So um, yes. then um, at the same time, Hunter is also uh, wanting to um, continue making a name for himself or like live up to the stage of the Golden Guard. And then we get an interesting note from Darius, of all people. Uh, yeah, from, like yeah. Darius was a major surprise for me this episode. Yeah, but so, so, but mind you, in a way, he's kind of confused me a little bit because, like, if you remember, like, uh, he seems loyal in some ways to the Empress Coven, but at the same time, he like has like this rebellious side that, uh, you know, kind of conflicts with like his, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, um, his duties to the Coven. So, like, uh, so, um, at the beginning, he's, he, the, we've been told that he, you know, he does not like the Golden Guard in any sense because, you know, he does everything that he's told to do, uh, pretty much. Yeah. And so, that's the reason why he ends up resenting the Golden Guard. Nothing more about, uh, you know, uh, him being where he's, imagine, it is, um, implied to start with, like, he keeps calling him, like, Little Prince, and so he does, like, resent the idea of the Golden Guard being his superior, in some way. And also, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and also, we knew this from Separate Tides that Lilith didn't like the Golden Guard either, saying that, oh, you know, he's just a self-entitled Brad who's, you know, in the Emperor Bellis's good graces. So, I guess it turns out that a lot of people think that, oh, you know, because he's a six-year-old kid, and also he just so happens to be Emperor Bellis's nephew, that he gets all this special treatment, that, yeah, Kikimura doesn't like him, Lilith doesn't like him, and now that we see, Darius doesn't like him either. Yeah. So, um, Darius basically says, oh, well, you know, if you want to prove yourself as the Golden God, go find out, go out, go and find some new recruits. And so he sends him off on that. And so Hunter decides to go in disguise as a, a student over a hex side. And uh, he, he basically puts this uh, persona of like, uh, what's his name? Caleb or something like that. Or uh, the, he's Caleb, a, yeah. Caleb, okay. And it says he's from the toe. Uh, so yeah. uh, he um, ends up, uh, you know, putting on this f facade, and uh, but uh, he ends up meeting up with Willow, and uh, Willow sees how ta uh, talented he is in regards to uh, flying on his uh, his stuff. By the way, uh, you know, we flap. I think uh, the his his um, palace is now known as Flapjack. I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah so, so I guess we'll have to mention this. So um, Dana Terrace did a live stream recently raising money for, obviously, with uh, the LGBTQ um, helping of um, ever since the um, infamous uh, bill that we just talked about earlier in the show. So go check that out. So, yeah, um, as usual, when it comes to Dana Terrace, she always has a wheel and she spins it. And then there were like three diaries that you get to hear from. There was Luce's diaries, there was Hunter's diary, and there was Lilith's diary. And one of them was from Hunter's diary. And he mentioned about that the palisman's name is Flapjack. Now, it hasn't been said yet on the show, but a lot of people are saying that this is probably canon because probably Dana Terrace wrote this. And, you know, Zeno Robinson himself, who is the voice actor of Hunter you know, was the one who uh, said this uh, diary reading as well. So for now, he is not known as Little Rascal. He was never known as Little Rascal to begin with. That was a name that Luce gave to the Cardinal. So, yes, for now, let's call him Flapjack. Yeah, so... Um He's basically flying on Flapjack, and uh, he's uh, doing you know incredibly well to like you know get away from uh, one of the beasts uh, that uh, that's there. And so um, Willow notices this and uh, invites him onto uh, her, her onto a flying derby team. 
And uh, so, yes. um, but uh, they, so at first, Hunza rejects her, and then, uh, but then he picks up a pamphlet, and then switch, then realizes that uh, you know Willow is trying to like you know the the best and the brightest, and uh, so he ends up coming back, saying, "Oh wait, you can get like the the best people," and uh, so um, he ends up going on that, and uh, so the, one of the motivations of him doing that is because at the very beginning, like uh, um, you know, there's a meme that's currently going around with Hunter's face on it, and basically it's like you know the uh, how do you do, fellow kids. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. There's that meme going going around because that's basically how Hunter starts out trying to like get new recruits from like uh, the uh, the Hexide School. Like uh, he thinks, oh well, um, if everyone relates, you know, to the same stuff that I relate to, then now oh, this thing will be a piece of cake. So, uh, but not realizing that uh, he's actually, you know, this uh, very very awfully treated, very lonely teenage boy who uh, is basically, you know, uh, having to be dragged away from his fa- dragged away from his family and uh, gets up at six o'clock in the morning every single damn day to like. Yeah, uh, you I know. mean, here's the thing. Like, um, yeah, it, we mentioned this in Hunting Palisman that you know he comes from a family that doesn't know how to do magic, and then Bellows took him in. We could assume that he took him in at a very young age because he was never able to interact with anybody his age. I mean, he's the youngest out of everybody at the Emperor's Coven, and he doesn't know how to interact with kids his age. So when he tries to, like, be all cool and say, hey, you want to join the Emperor's Coven? Everybody's just, like, looking at him weird. Yeah, but it's not just that. It's like, you know, his his idea of normality is everybody's idea of hell. Like, you know, exactly. So, I mean, he can't relate to anybody whatsoever until he finally meets up with Willow. And to be fair, like, you know, um, Willow and Hunter do have a connection because if you remember, everyone was making fun of Willow because she was a late bloomer and everyone called her half a witch. And uh, people make fun of Hunter not because, like, you know, of nepotism within the Empress Coven, but because, you know, he has no magic ability of his own until, you know, he, like, uses, like, artificial magic or uses a palisman. You know, so, like, uh, he's powerless without his staff. So he's not known as half a witch so in a way they have like this connection of like oh you know it took her a while to you know get used to magic and it's taken you know hunter a hell of a lot more to basically ever use magic himself even though he has no power exactly so. yeah so, so you know, i like- can definitely see the the parallels between the two and how they were able to see a lot of similarities with each other yeah so like uh, hey, you know, that's a cute little connection for the both to have you know like uh, there you go <laughs> Like, you know, they're the two uh, you know, half-witches in this world. It can become one. There you go. Okay, so sure. anyway, um, I'm a 36-year-old male. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's get back to that. Uh, so, um, so, you know... Um, um, so Willow does find some people, and uh, they're not—they don't turn out to be as good uh, on their face value. And Hunter takes uh, uh, is angry about this and says that they're all pathetic. And so Willow ends up having to like drag Hunter to the uh, the Grudgeby field to actually show that. Oh wait, it's, you know, say say to everybody, hey, the they may not you know have like you know complete great abilities, but they actually have special you know uh, uh, parts of the team that makes them all work together really well. So you know, you've yeah. Got now to, here's what, the thing, like. I mean, this was a major surprise for me in terms of, like, the people that were actually gathered for this uh, rugby team. So, I mean, Willow and Gus is not too surprising because, you know, we already talked about with Willow that she was a late bloomer and well, it's not, it's she was not, doing It's not the- a rugby team, it's a, it's a derby team. 
Oh yeah, the Derby team, right. So the Derby team, we do know that, um, you know, Willow was a late bloomer. We knew that Gus was, you know, he's two years younger than everybody else. He's a prodigy. And we even talked about this in a previous episode that even he thought that being in the um, the illusionist uh, class was completely useless. And then we find out that it's not. And then we have Viney, who we remember from the season one episode, the first day where, you know, she was always sent to detention because she doesn't know what she wants to do until she... Um, decides to do both healing and beast coven and then we have scara which is interesting it's like we knew scara is like one of the popular kids with amity and basha so i didn't expect her to be like the odd one of the group well if i recall i think she also kind of patched things up with willow as well i think somewhere down the line i don't know uh when about that was but uh... I, I guess it was if you remember winged like witches i guess for if we remember that when scara and basha were in one team and then amity lose and uh, Willow were in another, I guess. Maybe that's where they patch things up? Uh, by the way, actually, there's one thing, now that we say that, there's actually one thing we actually kind of left out, and you know who that was? What's that? Basha. Oh, yeah, so uh, early on in the episode, yeah, but, uh, Basha appears to Luce because Luce is trying to start the Good Witch Azura Book Club, which finally by the way and so then basha sees the covers and she even reads a passage from the good witch azura and she just thinks it's like really cheesy but by, and but by the way uh, patricia there's one thing you've actually left out do you notice that there's actually a difference that we've not seen basha you know in any other episode do you know what was missing what was that uh, her, her friends there's no one around her yeah, you're right. Like, where's Scara? Where's Ella? And, you know, we know that Amity's not around. So, yeah, I mean, even though she said, I have more friends than you, where are they? Where are they? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Basha right now is going on her own story because uh, she's uh, in any way going through a crisis because she realizes, like, you know, uh, she's having to, like, pick on people on her own and, uh, like, everyone seems to be kind of, like, you know, not hanging around with her anymore. Like, yeah. you know, uh, in, in, what, by, by the time we get to the end of the series, or by the time we get you know, a couple of episodes in, I mean, is, are we going to see Basha like, going through a crisis because she realizes that she's on her own? I would love to see that, by the way. That'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, it's, uh, that seems to be the direction we seem to be going with Basha at the moment. Like, uh, mm. she's, uh, she's not changing yet, but eventually she'll be forced to change because the behavior is not uh, reaping her rewards or, like, being popular. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we, we saw what uh, Luce is able to do by just being herself. She's able to attract a lot of people because um, she brings out the best of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, going back to... So, they we go to the uh, the actual derby match, and uh, so um, they end up taking on uh, uh, prof the professor's team, and uh, they end up winning. And uh, it's all through the teamwork that uh, they, we were talking about before. And uh, so, they do really well. And by the way, Hunter is, like, the star player, pretty much, in, in this. Like, you know, he, he nabs, like... By the way, not to say that he's, like, the... Uh, you know, he wasn't helped around, you know, by other people. Like, he was, but uh, he ends up catching the most flags and ends up, uh, you know, winning it for the team. And uh, which uh, you know, he ends up making all the friends that uh, he he wanted. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, go. this is the first time that I've seen in the series where he's like genuinely happy. He's smiling. Like this is amazing. Where he's able to just enjoy himself, do something that he wants to do outside of what Emperor Bellos wants to do. He has friends. He's able to do an activity that's fun. There's no pressure. He's genuinely happy. And then. He has to do his duties by saying, oh, by the way, my name's not Caleb, my name is Hunter, and I'm the Golden Guard, and you guys will be perfect for the Empress Coven, and that's when uh, Steve and, um, and the crew decide to, like, take them away and lock up them in jail, and then Darius decides to come by and just pick them up, and then that's when Steve comes along and says to, um... 
uh, Hunter, you do realize what you just done, right? I mean, these kids are going to have to go through like massive training. And also, you do know what Emperor Bellows does with their palace men. And then he says, Steve kind of regrets what he's done. And it's like, wow, what a big revelation from Steve out of all people. And by right? the way, like, you know, uh, Hunter himself is having a crisis now because, you know, here he is been trying to like, you know, get, get into, uh, you know, be, you know, the, the best golden god that he could be. And then he realizes that Hunter's kind of like, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, second thoughts about it. So he ends up, you know, flying off to Darius's airship and uh, ends up, uh, you know, boarding it and distracting him and uh, allowing the people, allowing all the kids to escape. Pretty much, and uh, also uh, they land the ship, but in actual fact they crash it. And uh, yeah, they so, crash and the ship. Yeah. So uh, then you know Darius takes offense to this because you know like uh, he's uh, you know once again you know he's the head of the uh, you know the the uh, the, the he's like the head of the the uh, the abomination coven, and uh, he's been basically out outwitted by a bunch of kids, and so he takes offense to that and says he's going to basically get revenge on them. And uh, Willow actually somewhat holds uh, holds her own against him. You know, like you know even even her offense wasn't all that great, but uh, before. You know, Darius can go for any further with with his attack. You know, where Hunter turns around and says, "No, no, this is uh, this is all a mistake. Like uh, these uh, kids are not, you know, fit for the uh, the Empress Coven. It gives them a chance to escape, pretty much." And yeah. uh, but uh, then, you know, Darius uh, turns around and uh, he looks like he's about to, like, you know, give um, Hunter a whooping. But in actual fact, he actually says, "Oh, hey, you know." Uh, You've, uh, I'm actually impressed with what you've did. You've actually went out and made some friends, and uh, you know you've actually, you know, gone against what uh, you know Bellus wanted, wanted you to do in the first place. You know, like uh, it's just a shock, by the way. Like, I mean, you saw what happened with Ida and Rain in Ida's Requiem. If Kiki Mora wasn't in the way, do you think that maybe Darius would have seen what he, you know, what they were trying to do with um, um, you know, Emperor Bellos or something? I mean, I don't know what it would have been. I like. don't know. It's, it's really kind of weird because you know, like in that case, then it's kind of a continuity error to kind of like Darius be like one of the people who tried to, you know, uh, stop the uh, the rebellion and capture Rain. Like, well, you know, here's the thing. He didn't. He didn't know that it was Rain. Yeah. They did. You know, they had no. He had no idea that it was Rain and Ida who were responsible for this because they were invisible, and the curse wasn't like um, any. You know, the, the curse involving with like Ida and with Rain playing their music. It was something that he wasn't familiar with. So, if he would have known that it was Rain who was trying to get a. You know, um, trying to take down Emperor Bellos. It's like. I wonder what would have happened if not only that he knew about this, but if Kiki Mora wasn't in the way. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of weird, really, but it's because uh, I mean, it's definitely a a a side of Darius I thought we weren't going to be able to see. And in, in, fact, in actual fact, like you know, if uh, that's the case, then why is he not leading his own rebellion against the Emperor? Maybe but, he is, and we don't know about it. Well, or well, maybe he's just not bothered. Like that. That's another I mean, he, thing he as did well. Look, he did look like he wasn't bothered. I mean, he even told uh, Hunter when he was trying to give him that mission about like gather up some kids uh, for the um, for the Emperor's Covens because we need some new recruits. I mean, he was even saying, "You're calling me on my day off," which, according to what Hunter says, they have a day off every year. That's gotta suck. Oh yeah, like uh, so. Um the yeah so it's just, it's just so surprising that uh, you know we get this from Darius of all people like uh, when we've kind of like seen that uh, you know he seems to be uh, at one point I thought he was kind of like all in like on the uh, you know the whole day of unity thing but uh, no it seems that the one thing I think I've seen about you know some of the uh, heads of the coven it seems like they're just kind of like along for the ride and like actually not like involved in the emperor's plans like it just makes me kind of worry like you know why why is Emperor Bellus being so off 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 hand with like you know uh, his his coven while he's off doing whatever 
You know, like it wasn't. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. It's like you know, when Hunter was given that letter, uh, Emperor Bellows was saying, "I'm off doing my duties. Go take care of the Emperor's coven for me." It's like, what was he doing? Hmm. Does this have any relation to what happened in the last episode when Luce and Lilith went to go see Philip Wittebing? I don't know, but uh, well, mind you, like um, it is going to be interesting to see. I mean, I think that that episode is going to be revisited at some point. Like, oh, yes, uh, absolutely, it's going to be revisited. And here's the thing that I um, just noticed now when, like, looking through, like, some of the pictures on, like, social media, is that when Hunter was sewing the Golden Guard sigil into his cape, that is the old Golden Guard symbol. And not only that, that is the symbol of Gravesfield from yesterday's lie. Yeah, exactly. So, um, as I was going to bring that up at some point, but uh, so um, it's interesting. I mean, it, it makes me wonder now, like, what is the origins of the Golden Guard? Because Darius, if you remember, said, "Oh, I remember your predecessor." You know, uh, so it looks like. I mean, I'm guessing maybe. I mean, uh, here's one theory I'm looking at. Like, maybe the Golden Guard is pretty much like uh, you know uh, the Arbiter from from Halo. So, like, you know, it's a long line of, like, you know, um, suicidal warriors that uh, would go and, uh, you know, deal with, like, you know, times of crisis, you know, within the Covenant. And so, um, or before, it was, you know, it was that, it was like, it was, he was the healer of the Trilele, which, uh, which is the, uh, the race of the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 of the, of the elites, uh, within, within the, within the, uh, the Covenant. So, uh, maybe, maybe the, maybe that might be the, the direction, of, like, the, go- maybe the Golden Guard at one point, maybe you would probably, like, you know, maybe, like, a town hero of Gracefield, and, like, you know, maybe when Berman Bellas came around, maybe he corrupted it into, like, being, like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, 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 you know, the right-hand man of the, of Emperor, of the, of the Emperor of the Empress Coven, maybe? The only people who have ever been in Gravesfield that were captured by the witch were Philip and his brother. We don't know of anybody else who were human that went over into um, Bonesboro. Hmm. But it's been several decades since then, so I guess that, I mean, I'm guessing there's probably like, and also keep in mind, Hunter's probably 16 years old, so I'm guessing there's probably like been like a whole line of Golden Guards since like the 1600s. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, but then again, if we remember, Bella started taking over the Boiling Isles 50 years ago. So there has to be like a chain of something that happened 50 years, you know, in between. So it's like mm. if Philip Wittebane was trying to find the collector and trying to live long enough to, you know, find out what he was trying to search for. I mean, there's still a lot of questions that we don't know about, and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. But yeah, there's just so many things that we just were revealed piece by piece in this episode and again the most surprising thing that we saw was that Darius was even able to give Hunter a phone and his own Pentagram account and uh, saying hey you know just interact with people your age which I thought was actually pretty cool and also that he wasn't able to um, reveal Emperor Bellows the fact that not only about the phone and that you know he wasn't going to like gather up these kids from Hexide over to the Emperor's Coven but also he knew about the secret palisman so you remember that every palisman goes over to Bellows because of what he does with with it so yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean one thing i was uh, quite you know but you know Dar- now we learn that darius doesn't like you know re- re- you know um doesn't doesn't just you know uh, dislike uh golden guard because you know he's he's above him he, he dislikes him because he's uh, he's so loyal to the emperor and like uh, he seems to now have like a uh, uh, he seems to like you know hunter a little bit now because he's actually willing not to you know to go against orders uh, some yeah point, i mean like. he even said even before he left and before the episode began you're, you know, um, you always do what you're told to do. So mm. he kind of says it like really begrudgingly. It's like, we know you're the emperor's favorite because you always do what he says. Yeah. So, yeah. So now it seems that he seems to be getting some admiration from Darius because he, he will not do what's, uh, you know, 
he's told to do. So uh, that will be interesting, actually. And that uh, is very interesting. I would love to see more about that. Here's the thing about this, like, you know, um, we don't know what... They talk about, like, this whole will of the Titan. Like, uh, you know, the Hunter's, you know, path right now is that uh, he is... You know, the, tit the Titan has got big plans for him. And, uh, but we don't know what these big plans are. And uh, we don't even know if, uh, you know... Here's the thing about this. I think somewhere down the line, I think Hunter's going to question his own destiny. Like, uh, he's going to say, yeah. like, you know, okay, I've been told that, you know, I I'm, the, you know, the goal, you know, the, the Titan has supposedly got all these big things for me, but uh, has the Titan ever told me that himself? And, like, uh, he's going to start, like, self-questioning, like, you know, what, what, he's, what his purpose is actually is, you know, in, uh, in that. And uh, also, there's one thing I think we're kind of, like, neglecting to mention, which I've, I've meant, you know, uh, some fans are also mentioning is that, uh, that um, uh, Hunter is actually a Grimwalker. And actually, it's like, you know, Bella's, his old backstory might actually be a lie and that he's actually been, you know, Bella's actually created him rather than actually, you know, him actually ever having, having a family or like ever existing. You know, and uh, it's so. hard to say because, I mean, even we mentioned this in last week's episode when we saw the blueprints of the Grimwalker on um, Philip's cave that maybe he's the Grimwalker. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they maybe they're both Grimwalkers. At this point, I have no well, idea. Hey, hey, and maybe uh, I think I've talked about my, my theory of Bellows, I think, uh, previously, but uh, I'll go over it again. So uh, my thoughts is, you know, and definitely um, I think that if you saw in the in the previous episode, you know, where, when he was going back into his cave, we saw that actually he was in the process of actually making a Grimwalker himself, uh, if, you, if you noticed. And so I kind of thinking that maybe, um, you know, if, if uh, Philip Witterbane is Bellows, the likelihood is that he's not like, you know, Philip Witterbane in the physical sense. Like, he's probably been creating Grimwalkers and, like, transferring him himself into, like, different Grimwalkers, you know, as every, every like... Uh, you know, body starts to decay or starts to die because of the curse that he might have. So exactly, I and like I said, and like I said in like the season one uh, episode, um, um, episode of Casual Chats, that this is like going into like Naruto territories where Orochimaru, whenever that his body is decaying, he has to transfer his his uh, his soul and his well being into every person that he sees, and that was one of the reasons why he wanted Sasuke was because not only was his body giving out, but he also has the Sharingan, which is um eye technique that he can be able to like see far up ahead people's techniques so you know that's why he wanted his body so badly so i guess if over time the body is starting to decay and he needs to transfer over to other bodies so his uh, purpose can be fulfilled yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that were the case mm -hmm. so um yeah, I think uh, that was pretty much uh, our episode of the Owl House in regards to... Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. We also forgot. Uh, Luz and Amity were in here, too. Oh, yeah, they yeah. were, weren't they? Yeah, sorry. I do apologize, everyone. So, um, I mean, so to be fair, let's let's be honest. I mean, I know that a lot of Lumity fans were excited about, like, oh, Luz and Amity are together. But to be quite honest, I didn't really care about it as much. Well, I mean, I, I think I think that in my opinion, I mean, this was like kind of like, oh, um, all these people have theories about our show. Let's basically reference it and let's be self-aware like when they were walking over to find out um about this author of this book who by the way i found the name it was like mildred featherwhite and um by the way it sounds more like a um somebody from the boiling aisles more than a human unless they're just trying to be like all mystical and all that kind of stuff anyway so then we're talking about like you know who is the author of the good witch azura and then Lewis was like maybe it's ida and she's writing all of these um you know stories because you know she feels like she's closeted and then amity's like maybe it's your mom when she was a teenager and it's like what 
Yeah, like they they're, they're pretty much self-aware at this point, and they were going for like all the, all the theories that all the fans have come up with, which which be honest with you, is actually very clever. So like, I mean, it like- is clever and funny, and even with uh, when we find out that it was um, Tiny Nose or I'm sorry, Tanella Nosa, who was the one who was like working with Tibbles and Metholomew that oh, it just turned out that Tibbles found the books washed ashore a year ago and has been trying to sell them over to the Book Nook, and the only person who's been buying the books is Amity, which we kind of knew that already. We knew this in a previous episode that they were washed ashore when Luce was trying to do some research on Philip Wittabame. But then um, even with another self-aware jab, it's like, you were accepting you were expecting something dramatic, weren't you? It's like, yeah, we kind of were actually. We were hoping that this was going to lead into something cool, but no, it just it just so happens to be like, oh, yeah, we knew that this was going to be an interesting theory that you were going to be, like, really invested in, but it just turned out that it wasn't, lol. Yeah, but no, I think, uh, to be fair, though, I think uh, we actually do know that, uh, you know, the, the author is now human, and uh, that... Uh, I mean, that's from the beginning! Yeah, but... We knew that already from the beginning! I know, but, uh, I mean, I think it kind of confirms now that, uh, you know, th- then, it, yeah, I guess, you know... Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, I should tell you when you think about it, actually, that's, uh, you know, because remember when uh, we heard that we saw, like, the news article that uh, the, the books have been washed up on shore, and uh, exactly. that, uh, we thought that Amity found them, and that's the reason why she's, uh, you know, got the books, and, uh, but, uh, yes. now that she found, he found out that, uh, you know, they sold them off to this, uh, and actually, actually, there's a, there's another point, actually, I want to make here, and, uh, about this, and that's, uh, you know, the one thing I've always complained about about Pixar movies, do you know what that's always been? What's that? Regionalization. So like, you oh, know, yeah. exactly. So if you think about it, like here's, here's, um, uh, you know, what's his name? I do apologize, everybody. Names just go flying out of my head. And uh, Who, whose name? Um, it was, uh, 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 Tibbles. Yeah, Tibbles. There we go. Yeah, so, Tibbles. Yeah. So Tibbles, um, basically, you know, uh, he's basically been doing what kind of like, you know, Pixar and like various other you know, movie studios have been doing. He's basically been regionalizing the books. So like, you know, they, they, they're there for like the Boiling Isles audience. You know, like, uh, so, um, if you remember, like, remember, like, in uh, Inside Out, when, like, you know, they were changing, like, the food that, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the, the kid was, like, eating. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, that, so, and, like, yeah, because in, in the American version, Riley doesn't like broccoli on her pizza. Yeah. And in the Japanese version, it was changed over to green bell peppers, because Japanese kids do not like green bell peppers. Exactly. So, um, there was that, and then also they changed around, uh, you know, the, um, the vision in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, Riley's dad, where, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, thinking about football, but instead, you know, in the British version, but then in the American version, he was thinking about hockey. And, uh, like, or another sport, or like in Canada, he was thinking about hockey. So, like, you know, they, um, yeah, they, they, uh, that's one thing that's, you know, uh, the Arrow House was actually pointing out. Like, you know, they were, you know, this is what happens when you regionalize stuff, like, you know, to fit for, you know, the domestic audience, if you will. So, like, you know, you had Amity this entire time thinking that the author was, like, from the Boiling Isles, and, like, you know, the, the books actually were, you know, actually made in the Boiling Isles. And then you had, uh, you know, uh, Luz uh, thinking that the, the author was human this entire time. Or then you have both of them thinking, oh, wait a second, maybe. Maybe they can go between realms. That's the confusion that this kind of stuff that creates when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, and then it turned out to be for nothing because it, Tibbles just decided to alter it so that they, he can make a buck. He was just doing a massive scam, but the massive scam turned out to be completely useless. 
So, yeah, yes, the, the character is human this entire time, and there is no portal that this author was able to transfer between worlds. So, nope, that, that yeah. didn't happen. Well, at least we got the thing at the end when, um, you know, the, the you know, Willow and her team uh, find uh, Luce and Amity, and then they, uh, she, she shows her, like, you know, on the Pentagram, basically, what they've all been up to, and they find that Hunter's in the middle of, like, you know, <laughs> their friendship, pretty much. Yeah, so, that was that was actually pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, to be honest with you, though, like I think we are going to get eventually, like you know, this reconciliation amongst all our characters, where you know Hunter, re you know, either comes to a realization, and uh, I think you know, Luz and Abedi will bury the hatchet with Hunter at some point. So uh, we are going to be talking about the Owl House. Um, we're going to be talking about Reaching Point and uh, good grief. I mean, like, uh, we know Dana Terrace loves to up the ante every single time in regards to emotion, and but never did I think we were ever going to get to Parents' Day levels of emotion in regards to a, an episode. And for those of you who do not know, there is an episode in Hey Arnold known as Parents' Day, and this is the episode that basically asked the question about Arnold's parents. Because for those of you who aren't familiar with Hey Arnold, Arnold does not live with his parents, he lives with his grandparents in their boarding house. And so there was an episode called Parents' Day which uh, addressed what happened to Arnold's parents at the well, uh, as of the time. Anyone who's familiar with the Jungle movie knows what happened next. But uh, this was, you know, this episode was an emotional episode because um, it was Arnold, you know, not really understanding what had happened to his parents and uh, they, he'd only kind of known about, you know, uh, what he knew from Grandpa's, you know, outrageous stories that he used to tell about them every single night. And so then he asked for, like, the official truth about what had happened and then, obviously, he got the truth and it was, you know, there was all sorts of, you know, emotions around that. And then we got to, uh, you know, a, a kind of an acceptance, really, of Arnold going to Parents' Tournament Weekend with his grandparents and then winning the well not winning the thing but obviously you know we're you know we're beating uh, you know Helga and uh, you know <laughs> the Helga's Pataki's family and everything so I mean that had also emotion had a lot of like you know musical accompaniments and everything like that it was like one of the you know best Hey Arnold episodes you know where bar Helga on the couch if you do get into Hey Arnold at any point um, reaching point. And uh, uh, for the Owl House is on par basically with this episode that I've just talked about. And so um, there's a lot to go through here, I think. Yeah, so um, I think that one of the reasons why a lot of people were really looking forward to reaching out was because... Reaching that out, sorry. Oh, good grief. Why do you call it reaching point? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so the reason why they were looking forward to reaching out was because a lot of the clips were showing off, oh, you know, you have Luce and Amity, and they're going to be going through, like, this underground witch duel. What's that going to look like? And... Yeah, the reason why that uh, a lot of people were also really scared about this was because they feared that this was going to be the episode where Luce and Amity were going to break up or something was major was going to happen. But this was a plot twist that nobody, and I repeat, nobody was expecting. Mm -hmm. So it starts off with Luce receiving a notification from her phone, which says that, you know, she has to meet up with her mother about something. And... Then she keeps, like, ignoring it, and so she is, like, looking really devastated. She's not being herself. And then we have Amity telling her that she's going to be signing up for the Bonesboro uh, Witch Brawl because she wants to win uh, a belt that her father won many years ago because she's not really connecting with him. And so Luce decided, okay, well, why don't we just, you know, join this one instead of, you know, your father wanting you to join the Witch's Coven, which the tryouts are happening. And we see that Amity is no longer interested. I mean, we saw in season one 
that she was determined to be in the Emperor's Coven. That was like her dream. And then she realizes that she doesn't want that anymore. This was something that her mother wanted. And so now she's joining in this brawl so that she can be able to win this belt to impress her father to say, hey, you know, I can be able to make my own decisions and this is what I want to do. Can you at least notice me? And so, yeah, I think that the the way that the episode starts off, it's like it really just gravitates to you. It's like, you know, what's going to happen in terms of like this witch duel and, you know, what is loose hiding? And so it yeah, brings but, up a lot of questions. But going back to Alador just for a second, I mean, like he put in a line like, you know, when he said to uh, Amity, oh, well, uh, you know, I was a goof when I was like, you know, doing all of that. And I didn't really have much direction. And, you know, like in a way, like that's you can sort of sympathize with that in a way, because, I mean, um, in regards to the way that, um, you know, Odalia and Alador's marriage works, I mean, like Odalia basically gives him direction and, uh, you know, Alador just kind of like carries it out. Pretty yeah. much, and so like, uh, so I guess I can sort of sympathize with uh, Alador in a way when he says, "Well, well, you know, I didn't really have much direction when I was like, you know, when I was that age, you know, I was just I didn't know what I was doing and things like that." Like in a way, you can sort of sympathize with Alador when he says, "Oh, I don't want that for you because you know I didn't know where I was going to end up if I didn't end up with your mother or something like that." Like you know, that's a that's a you know a place you can sympathize with in regards to yeah, uh, yeah. In regards to a character. So he just wants the best for uh, for Amity. And so, um, yeah, of course, there, there's that to sort of sympathize with. But at the same time, he needs to also say, well, you need to, uh, you've been missing out so much on my life because you've been so busy, like just, you know, doing work the entire time. So, I mean, that's to his detriment as well, uh, pretty much, because he's not listening yeah. to his daughter. He's not listening to anybody. So, and even, no, he, not, he, no, he's, even just, he's just concentrating on his work. He's making all the abominations for the emperor. And as we saw in Escaping Expulsion, that the abomatons are now being used for the emperor's coven. And we see Kikimura controlling them. So, I mean, even in the last episode that we talked about where we saw in his Pentagram that now there's an Abomaton 2.5. So they've been upgraded since then. And we saw that with the alarm that it's on the um, the, um, the Abomaton's head. And uh, then we have also these other features as well. So I think that um, we see that Alador is like really, really focusing on his work and not so much on his children. And he's letting, you know, his wife take over. And we know how pretty controlling that Odalia is. I mean, we knew about the amulet that Amity was wearing, where she's able to control everything that she says. But then we realize that Edric and Emmer were wearing amulets as well, but they were not amulets for them to be controlled. They were wearing amulets to hide what they really looked like. And I have to say, that is pretty messed up. If they were forced to wear that so that they can be able to look, quote-unquote, perfect. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, Edric takes his off, and basically he, he, um, he, you know, he, he looks like his real self, which I'm, I'm not going to make fun of him. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks like an awkward teenager, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, but that, that's, that's, that's everybody. Pretty much, like you know, it's uh, so. Uh, by the way, Maureen Mark got it on the got it nearly got it on the note. Pretty much, like uh, like what he actually looked like, you know, be, you know behind the uh, behind behind the jewel, and like uh, so, like uh, you know, he he called that out pretty well. And in, in yeah, that. and and it's actually funny because this was foreshadowed in a drawing that Dana Terrace did when. Um, we have a scene in which when Edric is playing video games and then Emra's in the background saying, you need your glasses. So this was actually foreshadowed a while ago. Mm -hmm. So and by the another way, thing I, that was foreshadowed was the glasses as well, because uh, Dana Terrace drew a drawing of Darius and um, Alador, and Alador had the exact same glasses that Edric is wearing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Emra just kind of looks a bit flustered, if anything. So, like, uh, she, yeah, she, I mean, she, she has longer either. hair. 
Yeah. Yeah, she has longer hair and she has acne, which again is very normal for a teenager. A teenager, yeah, exactly. Like so, you know, like uh, that's pretty, that's pretty sad actually. Like you know, they they put these jewels on them to make you know make them look not normal. <laughs> So like uh, that was uh, so that was that, but uh, then they give him to Amity, and obviously she looks super cute, which uh, you know obviously um, impresses Luz quite a lot, as you can probably imagine. So though that was a bit of a highlight for all the Lumini fans to uh, to have a look at. Uh, so yeah, and uh, but mind you, uh, Edric gets some you know more uh, character progression in this because you know like uh, he just wants to be taken seriously as a character, and uh, you know like yeah. uh, and that's something that King can sympathize with because he went through his own you know uh, you know uh, arc in that regard. So uh, he helps him along with that and uh, I mean Edric obviously you know does a bit of a screw up with the potion I mean we'll talk about that later on but uh, I mean Edric all he wants is just you know he's been basically the butt of the joke uh, in regards to you know Edric and Emma is kind of like you know uh, character traits in uh, the way that they, they, they portray him and uh, now um, they give him an episode where he can actually you know be useful and be helpful and uh, you know he ends up being kind of initiated into the bad girl coven thanks to Ida. <laughs> So. Yeah, and also we see that Edric and Emra are not just good illusionists. Edric knows how to do beast covening and a little bit of potion making, and Emra knows how to do healing. So they're varying up their techniques. Yeah, which is interesting because, I mean, I guess maybe they haven't been, like, you know, put into a track yet, so or have, like, yet to join a coven. So, no, like, they haven't joined a coven yet. No, so I'm guessing that uh, that's interesting, really. So uh, I think that uh, maybe they just... Because I thought somewhere down the line they would have, like, you know, said, oh, yeah, I want to join a coven, or they would have been forced I mean, into a they're coven. They're still 16 years old. They're still in Hexide, so I'm, I'm, I take it that they're still learning. I guess so. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know actually how the... How the how they end up in the covens that's all it works really like you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I get that they have like you know like, that, that they have the tattoos put in their arms and everything mm -hmm. but uh, they actually have specifically said when that happens or uh, yeah it, it doesn't exactly say that I mean even well, we even saw with um, you know Alador wanting um, you know Amity to be in the trials for the Emperor's Coven so I guess it depends on what trials you're put into and you know when uh, and, and if you are like accepted into the trials does that mean that you have to go through the process that we learned of in the last episode when um, you know Hunter was talking to Steve about like you know this is what we learned when we had to go through the Emperor's Coven we had to do the mazes we had to be in the forest we had to do all this stuff so that means that Amity would have had to if she passed the trials and how sad is that for a family dynamic that she would be more than happy to leave her family behind to basically get away from them to be in the empress coven yeah yeah good grief like the, the the more you delve into it the more sad you get <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of sad <laughs> we'll oh, get to that later we'll get to that later <laughs> yeah we haven't we even scratched the surface of this episode this episode was so good so yeah. um warden raff is the champ of this Bonesboro brawl, which uh, I think is awesome. So, like, uh, yeah. and, uh, and uh, I guess at one point, you know, I guess you could say we kind of got a little bit of a rematch between Eda and uh, and Warden Raff when that potion goes wrong. But, uh, and so the whole idea is that he's the champion and uh, uh, Amity goes in as uh, the uh, the Mighty Middens, <laughs> which... Uh, I know, love that name, by the way. <laughs> here I come to save the day! <laughs> Mighty Middens is here to slay! Oh, good grief. Can't make a, I can't believe I'm making that reference in 2022 but uh, <laughs> uh but, you know she comes in she kicks ass and uh, but funny enough like you can see that she's not like you know uh, invincible so like you know she gets knocked she gets like a, a whole rock thrown at her and she gets knocked to the side and ends up injuring a knee at one point yeah. was gonna like a, i don't know if that was like like a clever reference to like when she got injured in uh, you know the sports episode in season yeah. one yeah 
Yeah, like, uh, and so... Uh, I mean, even even Luce brought it up. It's like, you know, this reminds me of the grudge we match that we had, remember? So, yeah, yeah. like, uh, so... Um, and by the way, like, uh, in this whole thing with Luce, uh, like, uh, she is doing absolutely everything to kind of distract herself from the thing that, that we're going to talk about at the very end of this discussion. But, uh, you know, um, which is a natural reaction to have, you know, like, uh, when you're going through something tragic. I mean, maybe she should just bring it up now just because I feel like we're just kind of, like, you know, delaying the inevitable. But, uh, so... Um, um, the, the sad thing of that we learned in this episode is that Luz's dad has passed away. And, uh, and, and not like in this episode, but like, you know, a couple of years ago when she was like, uh, when she was younger. And uh, so, Yeah, she was uh, younger, yeah. yeah. And this time around, like, they used to go have this ritual where um, she would go out with her mother and they go pick flowers for each other and then they go visit his grave and they spend the whole day together. And so they would basically yeah. have that day, you know, on, on August 15th, we've actually learned. Actually, well, I mean, there. actually, according to the um, the calendar, it says August 22nd. Oh, August 22nd, I do apologize. So August 22nd, they, he passed away. And so um, they're apart for this one. And, uh, you know, it affects Luz very badly because uh, she constantly has it on her mind and she constantly, you know, thinks about it. And uh, so um, this ends up kind of like, you know, affecting every single, um, relate, you know, uh, interaction she has with everybody, including Eda, including King, including, uh, you know, where the Blight uh, twins, the, you know, including Amity herself as well. Because uh, she ends up upsetting her because uh, she, uh, actually, she, the Abomaton comes back to come retrieve Amity because he found that you know mysterious dagger, and uh, then um, she acts, you know, she basically tries to stop it, but then it starts his alarm off again, and then it, it reminds her of uh, the alarm from her phone that keeps going off to remind her about the event that's happening about her dad passing away, and so she ends up attacking the Abomaton and knocking the uh, the the alarm off, and that sends off sets off Alador because he thinks that uh, Amity is in trouble. So yeah. and then he, then she she ends up lying to Amity about it again. Like again. here's the thing that we don't notice about this. Like this is kind of strike two for Luz because she lied about me building the portal door to um to Amity, and now she's lied about you know uh, doing this with the Abomaton. I mean, how many times is she gonna lie to her? You know. Well, I mean, I I don't blame Luz for you know being this way because maybe she fears that Amity um you know would be like really upset about all of this and so she tries to push it off to the side. I don't think she's built enough trust yet in order for her to express her feelings to other people because I mean she's never had that before. Exactly. She's but, never had it. A- but at the same time, I mean, Amity's also you know uh, you know not very trusting of relationships either. Like uh, I'm kind of thinking we're kind of building up to a bust up. A little bit, because, like, you know, like, we're, str- I mean, yeah, I guess Amity is trying to be as understanding as possible, and she is, and, like, you know, and, uh, you know, good honor for being so, because, like, you know, I'd be saying to Luz, you know, if, if I ever said, saw all this kind of going, I'd be like, you know, you should keep Amity, she's a keeper. <laughs> she, she's putting up with your shit. <laughs> I mean, like... Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, we even saw this in, you know, the Follies of the Coven's Day Parade that, you know, the easiest thing that they could have done was that Amity would have seen the videos that Luz was sending to her mother and then she would have figured it out. But then she said, no, I respect your privacy. But then we have this moment in which she's like, you know, why are you hiding this from me? I don't know if I can trust you. But instead she says... You know, I know that you're hiding something. Why don't you tell me about it? So she's being open to um, having Luz confess to what's going on. So there's a very healthy relationship with communication and trust that you don't really see in a lot of TV shows or movies. It's always like really toxic. So 
kudos for them for being able to portray a realistic way of how to have a healthy relationship involving with communication and trust because that's some of the hardest things to do in a relationship exactly and so, so yeah like lumity right now is a great ship like it is uh you know it is saying hey and also it's a great example for kids as well it's like oh hey this is what you should do in these situations and uh, so i think dare i say like uh, i mean say what you ever want about like, you know, the lgbtq controversies in disney right now or anything like that but uh, i mean if uh, lumity ends up being like the best example of like a way a young relationship should flourish then you know that's a great thing you know, like, uh, for, for, for a lot of people, so, but I think the one thing I would say is, is that, like, um, how many times do you end up having lose, like, you know, not being fully up front with, with Amity about what's going on, and Amity ends up getting hurt as a result, or Amity ends up getting, like, you know, not getting what she needs as a result of that, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. how, how much, how much do you test Lumity? at this point yeah well I, i'm hoping by next week that loose can be able to learn more about being open because as you know next week's episode Ida reveals to loose about how she met rain and about their relationship so maybe this will be able to open up to saying hey loose you should trust your girlfriend more because she knows what she's talking about yeah exactly and so uh but uh, i mean it kind of makes me wonder where we are going with lumity at the moment because uh, i mean um, i can't help feeling like, do you remember when uh, we had the library episode uh, back in season one, and uh, you know, um, Luz made the comment of like, "Oh, hey, maybe I can befriend my, befriend my rival," you know, like yeah. uh, I kind of think that's foreshadowing for something. A little bit like you know, like uh, you know, they, these these two used to be lovers, and then all of a sudden they became enemies. You know, uh, there's a lot of foreshadowing that's been happening. I mean, you saw like a uh, Hunter's Pentagram username. Um, that's the same name reference as the book that Luce and King wrote in season one. And speaking of season one, the bat that um, Edric owns is the same bat from Adventures of the Elements when, you know, Luce and uh, Ida went over to the knee and then, you know, um, they would return to the knee again in uh, Eclipse Lake. So there's a lot of foreshadowing that is going on that we see in the first season that's, in, you know, being incorporated into the second season. Yeah, so like it's just it's saying that, hey, these these events happened. And these are the these is what it's affecting now, which is really good. Yes. Like you know, it's 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 aware of itself, which I think Absolutely. is the best thing you have for a show. So um, yeah, but I think um, I mean, but in regards to Luz's dad, like uh, good grief, um, there, there was one messed up comment I made uh, at the very end after we watched it, which is like you know if um, if the emperor wanted to manipulate Luz in some way, like he could make a Grimwalker out of his dad. Oh my like, god! How crazy would that be? That would oh, be so messed up. Messed up. Oh, but you know, like you could, you know, what Bellows is like in regards to manipulation and stuff. Would you? Would you like? Uh, I mean, and eventually he's going to end up in the human realm anyway. Like you know, and yeah. uh, maybe they're going to come to blow or come. To some, something's going to happen in the human realm. I don't know. And mind you, that's one thing actually we didn't notice mention actually when uh, they interrogated uh, um, Warren Raff uh, after he got defeated at the uh, the Bones were brawl, and like uh, so, um, the one. Um, thing that he mentioned is that you know, oh yeah, the day of unity is going to be where they unify with the Titan, and that uh, they're going to be, you know, going to be transported over to this new world. But uh, they're suggesting that the new world may not be as open to uh, magical creatures as uh, they is, you know, Emperor Bellos is letting on to be. So, yeah. uh, which, which by and, the and way, this is for both, and this is for both wild magic and 
no magic. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is, you know, I, I can't help thinking that this is my theory on that the witches are not native to the Boiling Isles. Uh, here's my thing about this, because, you know, what was going on during the 1600s? The witch trials. Exactly. And so, you know, while all the humans were going around trying to hunt around witches and, you know, put them on these, you know, awful trials and then eventually kill them at the very end, like, you know, what do you think all the other witches did? Like, uh, well, they, they, I mean, if we remember from history, they had to flee or they had to hide their identities. Yeah, exactly. And where do you think they? Where do you think? Uh, what um, thing gave them the ability to flee to the Boiling Isles? Well, I mean, we, from what we remember with, um, you know, uh, um, from what we remember with yesterday's lie, that um, you know, a witch was able to, you know, take the two brothers into Bonesboro. So there has yeah. to be, and also there's Titan's blood. Titan's exactly. blood is able to leak between the human world and into Bonesboro. So exactly, that, that's there. it. So, you know, they say that the, the Titan blood creates holes in dimensions. So the likelihood yes. is, is that they found those holes in the dimensions and they fled to the Boiling Owls because of that. Mm. So, yeah, so I think it's, uh, I think it's all coming together. I think you know, like uh, my my theory is is that those those uh, witches that are there now on the boiling island should probably not have been there to begin with. You know, like uh, they ended up they ended up fleeing there because uh, they were fleeing persecution from the humans. Uh, Possibly, so. yeah. So I think that I, mean, I, it makes I think of, they originally came from sense. Earth. My my, my, my personal opinion, but uh, so um, that's what I'm going with at the minute. Yeah, and speaking of yesterday's lie, now that we know about the context that Luce's father had passed away as opposed to, like, divorce that everybody else said, this makes this uh, whole situation with Camila even more tragic. Not only has she lost her husband, but her daughter is now trapped in another dimension and who knows, you know, uh, how she's going to get back and who knows what she's doing over there because, of course, Camila doesn't know, you know, about the situation that Luce is under, so... I'm sure that she is feeling so much fear and anguish and pain. Yeah, but here's the thing about this. Um, I think this is where V comes in, me personally. Like, I think V is going to turn around to Camille and say, well, why are we sitting here when we could we could do something? Like, you know, like, yeah. uh, so I think, uh, dare I say, I think they might end up going back to that crazy guy again. And like, you know, uh, in there and say, <laughs> you, Jacob, the conspiracy J nut. Conspiracy nut. And say, look, this is what's really, you know, anything like, uh, do you remember at the end of the uh, end of the um, Amphibia uh, of that episode when they went back to the, um, they, when they went back to Amphibia and like uh, went through the dimensional door and then uh, yeah. Mrs. Boonshoy converted Mr. X? Like, you know, like, yeah. uh, I, dare I say, they can probably confirm in front of Jacob in the same way and say, look, we're going to tell you everything, and this we're going to need your help in order to find the things that we need. And uh, so uh, maybe he probably might say, okay, then well, I'll go along with it. Just don't hurt me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I that. mean, he, he'll have to really be really open-minded and kind of understanding in order for him to comprehend all of this. Dare I say, he's probably open-minded enough to do it. I wouldn't be surprised, considering that he actually does have some magical stuff that will be really, really helpful in their situations. I mean, remember, he had the Hexam Hold cards, and he also had a training wand. This could be really helpful. Oh, so he might have other, he might have other stuff as well. Like, 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 That's like, true, yeah. yeah. We don't know. Maybe, has a, maybe, maybe he does have it. Maybe, maybe, here's the thing about this. Like, uh, maybe he might have Titan's blood, or maybe he actually might have something else. Like, like uh, Ooh, oh, wait. That's true. Hey, I found this door, but I don't know what it does. Like, uh, or what powers it. Like you know, and maybe they yeah. can, maybe they'll have their own door. 
Like or, maybe, or maybe, you know, I was like wandering around and I found this blue liquid. I don't even know what it is. It's not water. It's not like a type of um, energy fuel that I've ever seen. And maybe V recognizes that that's Titan's blood. Maybe we can use that to build a portal door. Yeah. But speaking on that, I still believe, remember when uh, we had Hulk, not, not knocking on Hoodie's door and uh, they yeah. remember they took blood from King. Uh, to yeah. see what he was. i got to think that's probably, you know, maybe that probably is Titan's blood that King has. I think so. So do you think that King's a Titan? Uh, I Well, I think he's a descendant of the Titan. Or maybe, like, the creatures that he is probably, like, you know, um, evolved from the Titan. Maybe. Well, I mean, we will know about that pretty soon because... Um, you keep in mind, like, uh, from... I'm, sure we, I'm sure we mentioned this in the past because, you know, like, uh, dinosaurs are, like, you know, uh, evolved from birds. You know, sorry, birds yeah, talk, are evolved from dinosaurs. That. So yeah, like, we talked uh, about that. Yeah, maybe maybe kings evolved from this maybe these massive titans that were walking around at one point. Yeah, I mean, we will know about that in a few weeks because that's when we'll know more about, um, you know, King's uh, backstory. I mean, we even saw in a picture that, you know, they were able to find, you know, um, you know, similar people looking like King. So maybe that'll answer a question that will probably open things up. Mm hmm. Anyway, uh, we're all speculating here, so I think uh, let's walk away from the outhouse just for now, as, as fun as this, is, this conversation's been. Um, let's talk about Amphibia. Um, this episode was uh, split into two, as uh, normally Amphibia is, and so uh, Sasha's Angels was the first Amphibia episode that we checked out. So um, uh, Sasha and, uh, uh, and Anne Boonjoy um, go on to take on some marauders who have basically stolen all their stuff. So uh, it doesn't go uh, all to plan, and uh, so uh, Sasha and Anne have to, uh, you know, abandon the plan and uh, all the rest of the frogs get captured. So, um, you know, to forgive me, like, uh, again, like, I'm really bad with character names, so uh, it's uh, it's um, the... Um, it's the frogs... Uh, sorry, it's the, uh, the, the frog mare's... Um, Assistant who gets captured, and uh, also along with like uh, all the other. Yeah, his ones name is well. his name is Toady. Toady, yeah. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll so um, yeah. So, uh, Miss Croker, Wally, Maddie, uh, Loggle, and Toady all get captured, and yes. uh, so they're basically left to their own devices. Um, then uh, Miss Croker basically gets um, gets walloped at one point, and so then they're basically on their own. And uh, then Toady is uh, then basically goes through like a character arc as uh, you know, basically turning into a rebel, and uh, then ends up uh, you know um, creating this uh, scheme to basically get them all out, uh, pretty much. And so um, yeah, so I mean, we do get some development with like all our characters in this, and so, um, also well, we get some, uh, you know, back and forth between uh, uh, Anne Boonshoy and Sasha, and uh, so that while they're having, like, this part of this, uh, of this training, and Anne's, you know, uh, worried about, like, leaving them there, and, uh, you know, not wanting to, uh, you know, uh, you know, leave them there any longer, and Sasha says, look, just trust them, they'll be able to get themselves out of the situation, and, uh, you know, Sasha ended up being right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, uh, and also there's a lesson for Anne as well, you know, because uh, they've uh, been through a lot, you know, whilst they've been gone, and uh, she should be able to trust, like, uh, all the people around her a bit more. So. Yeah, that, that was actually pretty awesome, considering that, um, you know, Anne was, like, really afraid of them being captured, and uh, Sasha was like, no, no, you, you have to trust them. And, you know, um, immediately with, like, Anne's instincts, it's like, you know, we need to be able to rescue them because we don't know what they're going through. And it's true. I mean, when the last time that Anne saw them, I mean, they were just like, oh, you know, like... Mrs. Croker was like this frail old lady and, you know, Toadie was like, oh, you know, he was just like the assistant to the mayor and Wally was just like the singing, um, you know, over, overly um, optimistic one. And so I, I don't blame Anne for kind of being afraid. I mean, even though that she just recently came back to Amphibia and she's been seeing that King Andreas has been taking over everything. 
but Sasha has been with them for months and had been training with them during the resistance and she knows what they're capable of. And so this is the opportunity for Sasha to kind of like patch things up with Anne and building trust and also to teaching her um, how to sword fight, which is a great opportunity for Anne to increase on her skills. Yeah. So, um, in regards to like, I mean, so this episode, I mean, some people say it's like, you know, it's just it's a filler episode. I don't think it is. Like, it's just, it's, uh, I like the idea that, so they've introduced like the fact that not only is there like, you know, there's the Andrea side and then there's like the, you know, there's the, re there's the resistance. There's people actually in the middle who are basically like they're stranded. Like, you know, they don't really care about the resistance or care about like, uh, you know, uh, Andreas or anything like that. They just care about surviving on their own. Like, you know, when exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we even have with um, Toadie, who you know was pushed out of his comfort zone, saying, you know, oh, I'm I want to be the lookout and I want to take notes with the post-it notes and the pencils. And then Mrs. Croker is like, you're more than capable of doing this. And you know, when Mrs. Croker was knocked out cold, unconscious, and nobody knew what to do, it was up to Toadie to decide about. Um, how they were going to not only escape from their prison, but also how they were able to take down the marauders and they can be able to get their supplies back. Mm -hmm. So um, there was that episode. And so and then we end up with the next episode, uh, which is uh, Old Town Road. And uh, um, this episode is actually developing the story now because uh, they yes. actually uh, now they have to go find Mother Olm. And uh, so uh, we end up going back to uh, the uh, where we ended up with uh, when, when they were doing the trials. Of like you know of like uh, you know not getting you know getting along with uh, you know as, as siblings and so uh, they ended up um, you know going back to that place again and uh, yeah actually... and, and as you remember from the episode fight at the museum where we were first introduced to Dr. Jan is that there was uh, a prophecy written um, in the back where it was talking about seek the mother of alms she will guide you to your destiny which is why that they had decided that seeing her was going to be their next step to finding out what they need to do in order for them to win against King Andreas and then Cap uh, you know um, Captain Grime was saying about like nobody has seen them for decades and then Sprig and Polly were like no no, we've seen them once. We were at the Quarrels Pass when we were fighting each other, and we met up with these uh, blind twin Olms, and uh, we know where they are. We can take you to them. And so Anne, Sasha, Hop Pop, Sprig, and Polly were able to go over there, and uh, then they went over to the uh, the town of uh, Proteus, which, by the way, the design of it is beautiful. Like, Wow, it was like Matt, one of Matt the most Briley, by the way, put up some put up some screenshots of uh, of uh, uh, um, yeah. I'm gonna put yeah. some screenshots so if, if you're you know watching this on YouTube. I'm gonna put some screenshots of Proteus, and it is a breathtaking scene. It's just wow. Anyway, so um, they go over to Proteus and they try to convince them, hey, you know, um, there's these earthquakes that are happening, but no, it's just a drill from King Andreas because they're trying to find resources and iron ore, and they're trying to take down Proteus. They want to destroy you and they're like nah this isn't happening it's just earthquakes it, it happens and well if, if you remember the um the um i can't remember this the uh, i'm really sorry everybody i'm really bad with character names today um so there was the um um uh, the 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 uh um not mother on the uh the 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 the, the one that was in charge what was that what, what do they call the person who was in charge of the the, the city uh you're not referring to mother Ohm. you're referring to uh parisia Parisia, yeah, so the Parisia basically leads on to everybody, like, oh, well, you know, uh, this is all just, you know, uh, a bunch of hooey, like, you know, it could just be, you know, natural earthquakes, and everyone just kind of follows along with that, like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, so it's like, it's kind of like uh, Parisia kind of like, uh, you know, turning around to everybody and like, you know, saying what they want, saying what they need to think. 
Yeah, and uh, if you remember in uh, in Coral's Pass, where uh, Lissel and Angwin were living at the caves uh, in the bottom of Coral's Pass, the reason why was because they originally were from Proteus, but they did something a long time ago that made them banish from the city. And so when they were trying to enter in, they were just seen as like traitors. You shouldn't be allowed into the city. We don't give second chances. And then uh, Parisia is like saying, you know, these mysterious earthquakes and then the sunlight. It's like, oh, you know, this stuff will pass eventually. So... Um, it doesn't really help much that when they're trying to convince, um, you know, Parisia and all the other um, Olms that, you know, the, King Andreas is trying to destroy them. I mean, even Sasha herself says, you're the biggest moron I've ever met. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's the one thing that's, you know, set Sasha off because the fact that they just don't give second chances and the fact that, uh, you know, yeah, they've made mistakes, but uh, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, they can't learn from their mistakes. And, uh, exactly. Fact, and and yeah. we know this from Sasha in the first two seasons where she was just convinced that taking over Amphibia with the Toads, it was the right thing to do. And then she realizes, oh, wait, I was in the wrong. So I, you know, didn't even deserve a second but, chance. But not, we knew this but from... not only that she actually learned that herself, like, you know, she's actually, you know, um, you know, preaching that out to other people. So that's the reason why she stood up to Parisia, because not only does she, you know, believe that for herself, but she believes everyone else should, should take that example too. So she's not afraid mm -hmm. to tell every other people the lessons that she's learned, which I think is really important because, uh, you know, as a part of a character development. And so, Absolutely. yeah, and uh, Parisia actually appreciates that. She says, no one's ever stood up to me like that in 500 years. Like, maybe it's mm -hmm. time that someone did. So, um, that, so she does know something about the mother of Olms, and so uh, they end up opening a cave, and uh, that's where the episode ends off on a cliffhanger. And that is where we lead into our next two episodes of Amphibia. So, Patricia, do you want to tell us about Mother Olm and also lead into Grimes' pupil? All right, then. So in this episode, we finally get to see Mother Ulm. After all the buildup that we had from last week, we finally get to see her. And yes, Mother Ulm is played by Whoopi Goldberg, very similar to Gaia from Captain Planet. That, that's what and I was so, going to say, actually, um, that uh, we thought that you know she was going to play Mother Ulm in the same way that she played Gaia from Captain Planet. But no, actually, it's a different performance, if you notice. Yeah, yeah. She sounds older, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, Mother Ulm is like thousands of years old. So it does make a lot of sense. So, yeah, basically we have, um, the uh, you know, the, the gang just basically talked to Mother Olm saying, what is the prophecy that we saw in the pot? And, and then she's like, I don't remember. And then um, they were trying to, like, jog her memory, but she still doesn't remember. And the only way they can be able to do it is to rub brain cream on her so that she can be able to remember. So... Uh, we have, um, you know, we have Anne, Sasha, Polly, and Sprig going in from Mother Olm's ear into her brain while Hop-Hop, because he's old and he his joints are not um, functioning very well, he has to stay behind and he feels useless. And so Mother Olm is giving him, like, this encouragement about being old is fantastic because we have all this wisdom and all that kind of stuff. And so then as time goes on, we do get to see, you know, them, uh, you know, crawling into the brain. And Sasha is so miserable because <laughs> she has a fear of ears. And, and by the way, also, um, I, I once seen uh, one thing I mentioned to Patricia when we were talking about this, like it did remind me of uh, a uh, something out of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. It's actually I think this is a reference to inside Jabu Jabu's belly, one of the dungeons in the third dungeon in uh, Legend of Zelda. So. Hmm. I mean, it could be. I mean, you know how uh, these newer creators are uh, into their like video game references. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, so, yeah, we have them finally going into the brain, and then we find out why that Mother Ulm is going through all of these migraines and why she's not remembering anything. So there's bat mosquitoes inside her brain, and they're absorbing the um, memories of Mother Ulm, and that's why she's been getting all these migraines, and that's why she's been forgetting. And so they have to, you know, remove the, the bat mosquitoes from her brain, and so then they do that, but at the same time, now they're trapped inside of her nose. And then finally, Hop Pop decides that he knows how to make Mother Ulm sneeze by gathering all of these plants and these herbs and these vegetables and making a very powerful allergy uh, potion. And so that's how, um, you know, they were able to escape from the nose. And when we saw it, it was like really gross and slimy. And then, of course, Aaron had to make a stupid joke about Nickelodeon when he saw them <laughs> sneezing how out. How could I not? <laughs> It was uh, clever, and I hate you for it. <laughs> okay, so anyway, but so and then it, then when you know they finally were able to be released from the the brain and the nose, and unfortunately she still doesn't remember because the brain cream just so happened to have expired over seventy years ago. And then finally she was like, "Oh wait a minute, I actually wrote the prophecy from up on the wall." And then Sasha was like, "What?" We had to go through all that for nothing. And then she was screaming out, worst mission ever. <laughs> and so then it was, uh, then the prophecy was saying about like how three stars will burn brightly and we'll be able to show the direction of Amphibian. We'll be able to take down the corruption and the evil. And it showcases that the three stars are Sasha, Marcy, and Anne. And the only way that they can be able to do that is to get their powers back from the Calamity Box. And we know that Anne has powers of it, but if you remember that the powers of Sasha and Marcy are trapped in the box again. So now they have to find a way to, that they can be able to retrieve it again. And here's something that I actually, um, you know, liked on Twitter because... Because this was something that Matt Braley himself mentioned. So there was a person who made this really interesting theory. Um, Zachary Bartolo said, Now I understand the frog monster in the mural. It's not the core or some monster that the girls have to fight. It's a symbolic representation of Amphibia's greed and corruption. The girls are fighting for Amphibia's soul. And then Matt said... I don't normally comment on stuff like this because I believe it's good to keep things vague slash open, but there's nothing that warms this creator's heart more than what this clever fan had hit the nail right on the head. Wow. So yeah. e e even I wow. was like, oh, well, this is not, this is not the core of some you know, monsters that the girls are going to fight. Even, even yeah. That, so yeah. that monster that we saw that was controlling Marcy this entire time, that's not the main bad guy. Can, can Amphibia, uh, King Andreas is not the main bad guy either. It's the greed and corruption of Amphibia itself. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see where we go with this then. Because, like, uh, if the if the goal is not to defeat the core and the goal is not to defeat Andreas, like, if uh, that's not what we're looking at here, you know, like, uh, um, what is it that they're going to end up achieving out of, uh, you know, doing, like, you know, either a massive war or, like, what, what, what are they going to achieve by doing what they're going to do? So it's, it's going to be interesting to see where it all kind of goes, really. Like, you know, because uh, this ends up kind of asking more questions about where we're going to end up in the end. Because at least, at least you could say... Uh, you know, his avatar, for example, like, you know, the the big, you know, thing at the end is going to be defeating Fire Lord Ozai. And like, yeah, but we, then, we knew that from the beginning. We knew that from the beginning, yeah. But, uh, I mean, like, the, the, the one thing that to create, the only conflict that we had is that Aang was not willing to kill Ozai 
in order to basically bring peace amongst the worlds. And so now this throws in, like, I mean, I guess they're going to have to fight against the core and they're going to have to fight against Andreas. But, uh, I mean, I'm guessing there's going to be something different that's going to happen at the end now. Like, uh, where are they going to go with this? It's, it throws up a lot yeah, of Yeah, I mean, here's the, thing about this whole, here's the thing about this whole corruption thing. And we'll talk about this in the next episode. But that, you know, for all these years of Amphibia, the toads, the frogs, and the newts were separate. And they felt that, you know, we could never be together because, you know, the toads were like this, you know, war-driven, you know, section. And uh, the newts were, like, very sophisticated and smart and classy. And the frogs were, like, very humble and lived in the countryside. So they were very separate. So the fact that we have to bring them together is what's a massive thing that a lot of people were, like, very hesitant towards it's like you know we're different from them but at the same time you, if you have a goal that you need to meet up with then you need to be able to put aside your differences and be able to see that you need to work together in order for peace to happen i mean we saw this you know correlating in the next episode and we're going to get to that in just a moment but there's a bit of corruption regarding about that there's a separation and people think that there's one that is higher or lower than the other and then regarding about the greed regarding about like with king andreas who wanted power he wanted power to rule over everything but then we realize that he's a pawn in all of this because of this core that's going on so there has to be more to like this whole story that we're not getting it and i'm sure we'll get that in the next few weeks yeah. Anyway, moving on to the next episode, which is uh, Grimes' pupil, and uh, yeah, exactly. Like uh, this, actually, cleverly carries this whole message carries on to this episode because now yeah. Sprig and Grime have to, you know, you know, uh, coexist with one another because um, they are trying to get the Toads, uh, what remains of the Toads, uh, into the Resistance. But uh, they've made a, a deal with Grime's sister to basically say, "Oh well, um, there's going to be a cage fight, and uh, I will take on Sprig." and if I win, you have to do what we have to say, and if uh, we win, we will pledge our allegiance to you, to the Resistance. Right. So um, that ends up uh, creating a problem between uh, Sprig and Grime, because Grime now has to train uh, Sprig in how to defeat his sister. But um, Sprig is too narrow-minded to think, oh, well, I've beaten Grime before, so therefore I can beat this person again. It's like, well, no, when you beat me, it was because it was amongst all the chaos that was going on in the uh, Newtopia. Like, uh, you need to deal with, um, you know, my sister within a cage, uh, where there's going to be a lot more uh, things to worry about, and also that the she's not going to be distracted by anything. So... That creates some, uh, you know, uh, uh, butting of heads between uh, our two characters here. But uh, eventually they learn that, oh, hey, well, maybe there is a possibility for Sprig to, you know, have some toughness in him. And also there's a possibility for Grime to train him uh, for his, uh, you know, more his dynamic approach to fighting rather than just like, you know, brute force. So, uh, and they learn that after basically they get attacked by, what, what are they called, hyena bees? Or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something like. Agree. These 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 creatures that they come up with, I swear. But uh, <laughs> hey, they, they they do the job, so I guess we can't complain too much about them. So uh, yeah. I guess that's true. I mean, they're very similar to Avatar, in which they have like these amalgamations of different creatures together. Mm-hmm. So um, so they basically fight off these uh, hyena bees things and uh, then they learn that oh hey we can we we can definitely do this and so it comes to the cage fight and uh, yeah a sprig basically wins the fight and uh, the toads all pledge their allegiance to the resistance yeah, yeah. 
And uh, Beatrix was actually really surprised by this because she thought, oh, you know, frogs are inferior. They're not as strong as we are. We were trained at an early age to fight. So, yeah, she was underestimating Sprig from the beginning. But Sprig was able to learn from not only his techniques, but also with Grimes as well. And so that's how he was able to win. And that just goes to show you that, you know, even though that Sprig was really hesitant on being trained with Grime, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, Grime almost killed Hop Pop. And, you know, Grime was even saying, you know, there was, you know, he was, uh, we needed to do it because, you know, he was, you know, a political, um, you know, um, uh, person that we needed to take down. And so um, then we have with Sprig saying, you know, I'm going to learn from you, but, you know, your ways of learning is really complicated for me. But I have to remember that I need to learn these things because how am I going to be able to take down your sister? So he, in, a, in a combination of his speed and accuracy mixed with Grimes' strength and rage was the reason why he was able to win. And so that was when Beatrix decided, okay, we're going to join up with you. So let us know when the war happens and we'll be there. So yeah, that, that uh, I'm thinking that with all the stuff that's going to be happening, I mean... Oh boy, we're we're in for a rough ride considering of next week's episode where we have the root of evil and the core and the king. So now we're going to get some more information regarding about the stuff we saw in this episode. And by the way, the uh, the the last um uh, the the last episode uh, names have actually been released from what I understand. Oh, oh so nice. The last episode is going to be called All In. Oh, that would be really, really You big. know, I've been talking about uh, a potential th thing that, uh, you know, all... Because uh, Andrea says he wants to rule all worlds, and maybe yeah. he may end up accidentally opening up all worlds. And also, if you remember that, uh, you know, that that, um, that scientist was talking about uh, the, uh, you know, the, the possibility of, like, you know, the multiverse as well, and opened up the idea of, like, you know, visiting other worlds as well. Like, um, it might not just be all you know, all the Amphibia characters getting together to potentially defeat Andreas. Like, mm. uh, uh, you know, and also keep in mind, we also had the Owl House uh, Amphibia crossover as well. Like, That's uh, true. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, can you see what I'm hinting at here? Like, uh, <laughs> are, are we, are we you don't think? Are we, are we basically going to get, like, an Avengers-style, like, you know, uh, ending to Amphibia? Basically, like uh, that—that would be kind of cool if they decided to go in that direction. Like you know, like mm. uh, you know, where uh, uh, one uh, one portal opens up and like you know, here comes you know where uh, uh, lose Eder and King and uh, maybe a few other people from the Owl House, and then another portal opens up and he's like you know, Star vs. the Forces of Evil. And, like another portal opens up and like it's the Gummy Bears, and another portal opens up is the Gargoyles. You know, like you know, everyone just gets together and then just has this big massive fight. And like yeah. uh, you just see, like yeah, uh, you know, that'd be every fan fiction writer's dream come true, pretty <laughs> much. Like uh, yeah, that would be awesome. Hmm. It gives intrigue to Amphibia, wow, I mean, doesn't that, it? That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Yeah, and uh, we'll leave everybody on that uh, really happy note, shall we say, or really uh, interesting yeah, let's, note. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, take care, everybody. Have a good week, and we will see you in the next episode. See you, everyone.